This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast from AllComic.com, episode 115. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I am Colton. And I'm Lam Ramayasha, and today we have a fantastic discussion for you folks, where we are discussing the concept of problematic media and how to have conversations about such media. And we have invited on really great panel of guests, Erica Friedman, founder of Okazu and Yurikon, Yuri, historian and scholar extraordinaire. We have Ash, at King Coco Butter on Twitter, and runs the YouTube channel, The King Speech. And we have the black manga critic from the YouTube channel of the same name. All fantastic intelligent, thoughtful people, and we had a really great exploration of the idea of problematic media, the distinction between what makes something a guilty pleasure and what makes something problematic, and then how we can have critical conversations about media and where we draw the line with such media. We covered a lot of bases, and I thought it was really fantastic, and I'm really excited for you all to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, actually, uh, during this discussion. Initially, I wasn't sure how much I'd have to, like, contribute, but, like, I actually had a lot of fun talking about this. It was a nice, civil conversation about an otherwise topic that, you know, I think we, we mentioned in the uh, discussion that not not a lot of people on the internet usually talk about very civilly, you know? Indeed. And so let's do some problem-solving and head into our discussion of problematic media. Colton, I have a problem. Oh, oh, oh yeah? Um, what, 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 what is it? I have a problem with the way we talk about problematic media. Or, more accurately, the way we don't talk about problematic media. Too often, it seems people want to cover their ears or hand wave away any troubling elements in the media they like and consume. Criticism is met with hostility and malice, with people arguing over those who want to address troubling content by denying it exists or is a problem at all. We've had a lot of conversations recently about problematic content in series we like and don't like, and it's a topic we've seen debated time and again whenever a series or a creator does something questionable, uncomfortable, or in some cases, criminal. While it's difficult to reconcile enjoying something that may be doing something bad, or was created by a creator who has done something bad, I think it's important to interrogate problematic content in the media we consume to identify the ways in which it may affect real people in harmful or damaging ways, and what are supporting such works emboldens the cultural pervasiveness of this content and their creators. This is a complicated topic that can be approached from many perspectives, so we've invited on several people who have expertise in holding conversations about problematic media and discussing the ways in which it reflects upon culture and affects people. We're delighted to have back on the show Erica Friedman, the premier Yuri scholar and historian and founder of Yurikon and Akazu. Hello. And we are excited to invite on some new guests, Ash from the YouTube channel The King's Speech. Hey. And the black manga critic from the YouTube channel of the same name. Hello. Thank you all so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having us. Yeah, it's a pleasure being on. Definitely mm-hmm. excited. Definitely excited to be on here. This has been a topic that has come up a lot recently, especially. 
we had the whole kerfuffle with the interspecies reviewers show <laughs> and then some fallout from that. But there's also been other series, other media that has come up in the news that people have debated about, whether it was that Yuna and the Haunted Hot Springs controversy recently, or even people just talking about their complicated feelings on Baroni Kenshin over the new news of that new movie. So this is a topic that comes up time and again, and I think it's a great time to just have a conversation about it, because it can be a kind of complicated topic for some people, especially talking about problematic content in media we really like. But what I really like about all you guys is that you've written or you've made videos on, you know, these topics and you uh, push to interrogate problematic media and uh, have conversations and be critically minded and thinking about series and media so i'm really glad to have you all on all right well i guess it's time to solve all these problems with a two hour or less podcast <laughs> we definitely won't be solving any problems not with that attitude hopefully uh, i mean i think the important thing is to have a conversation and then like kind of work towards solving the problems it's definitely not an immediate solution. Yeah, that's fair. If there's really a, a problem to be solved, I mean, to some extent, I think it's kind of important that we start with really what, what makes things problematic and why do we consider them problematic? Because what might, what I think the obvious thing, especially with this group, what's problematic to me may not be problematic to you at all. Most mm-hmm. definitely. Vice versa. Oh, yeah, for and sure. I think that's a great place to start. How would each of you guys define the term problematic in the context of media? Who would like to begin? Erica? Sure. So I just recently wrote a thing about problematic media. And really what it comes down to is something becomes problematic when it, in a real world context, shows disrespect or objectifies or stereotypes actual real people, but as entertainment, it's sent out in the world as entertainment. So, for instance, uh, years ago, I read a comic by an independent comic artist who was doing stories of very young girls, and in my opinion, very young, uh, very inappropriate uh, situations. And when I address this in a discussion about how I found this very uncomfortable, it turns out they were actually working out sexual abuse they had suffered as a child, which Mm. for them becomes extremely therapeutic. But wow, did it make me really uncomfortable and I was unable to enjoy it at all, finding it exceedingly problematic on a lot of levels. And so another person would look at that and find that to be even more problematic because maybe they also suffered sexual abuse as a child. And found it to be very offensive. So you have this thing that in and of itself in the real world is a very traumatic, difficult thing, but is sent out into the world as a form of entertainment, something that somebody else finds comforting and or therapeutic or just fun or worse. And this is where it always becomes problematic to me when it's meant to be funny. Mm-hmm. That is mm-hmm. the thing that always stops it. That's the line that I draw on. Do not give me something that is for real people traumatic and tell me, no, no, this is supposed to be comedy. Mm. Mm. So that's how I work that out. That's that's my line. Definitely. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I think 
I think when it comes down to it, for me, there's, you know, it always sort of comes down to any sort of like uh, media portrayal of a real life situation that is presented in a way that, like you said, like, you know, stereotypes, marginalizes um, particular individuals in a way that's not um, empathetic at all. Um, mm-hmm. And might be mm-hmm. the exact opposite. That is like mm-hmm. that, that. That might be particularly apathetic in a way, or directly offensive. Oh, but it's a joke, you yeah. know. <laughs> it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what how I would sort of define it in a sense, in a very like rough sense. Mm-hmm. And I think that uh, this idea of like a joke, you know, like is is like a very that's like a, like an example of when there's like a lack of empathy. Right. Like the this yeah. ability to sort of like put together this joke to construct this joke without any thought to the individuals that are this, at the center of said joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the collateral damage part of the joke. Right. You made a joke and the people you wanted to impress laughed. But you left collateral damage to do that. Was that worth it? It's at the expense of other people and it really trivializes the discrimination that they face. Mm-hmm. Or mm-hmm. real world harassment, or just yeah, any form of like abuse they might actually face by society. Mm. Ash, uh, do you have yeah. your own definition? So, uh, kind of bouncing off what Erica and uh, BMC both said here, I do agree that you know problematic is a lot of the times is you know something that does affect real world people and has like real world consequences. So we talk about things like racism, sexism. Bigotry. I think those are the overarching things that, you know, a majority of people would agree are problematic. And I think a key element of all of those is also, you know, how does problematic media kind of reinforce current world power mm-hmm. dynamics mm-hmm. and how does yep. it kind of uh, reinforce and kind of repeat them with maybe without even meaning to. But then we have, you know, problems with discussing that with, you know, the people who are currently do hold the privilege and power who don't really want to identify the ways they do and how the stories they tell may reinforce it. I think that's where we get into the more problematic elements is because when you talk about problematic media, things like, you know, murder, killing, stuff like that, everyone will readily agree that, yeah, that's problematic, that's bad, it shouldn't be glorified in any way. But then once you get into, say, sexism or racism, then suddenly people start seeing all these gray areas that don't really <laughs> exist. And they're like, yeah. oh, well, you know, now there's a <laughs> well, lot more. Well, it's okay, more... but... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. There's a lot more give and take there now because people start seeing it being like, well, is this really problematic or not? And I think that's the problem. That's the area we kind of have to really focus on is, all right, you know, there's things everyone agrees are really bad. Now, how do we get them to see that all these areas they think are gray really are not as gray as they think they are? I recall when yeah. Mad, Men was on, Mad Men was on TV, um, I had a number of people say, oh, you should watch it. And I'm going, no, you see, I worked in advertising. And it was exactly <laughs> like that into the 1990s. I left that company in 2003. And it was exactly like that. Nothing had changed. Those 40 years were non-existent. It was just as sexist. It was just as homophobic. It was just as vile, you know. And it wasn't funny. I don't see any form of entertainment and going, oh, ha, ha, look at the way they were. Are you kidding? My boss was worse than that. 
So Oof. no, no, it's not entertainment. <laughs> no. I lived, I lived it, and I think that's really the line in the mental. The the line that I draw is: it's not funny if it's not entertainment if people are living it. I usually sum it up as: we can't get over it if we're still living under it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is yeah. a disconnect between what people find acceptable in media and then in real life, like. Something that would be so clearly objectionable if done to real people in real life. They are comfortable having it in media and they will justify, oh, it's just art. It's just entertainment. It's okay for this thing to be here. Even though, like, it would have consequences in real life. In the real world. But Mm -hmm. we have to have places, I think, for that. So that's that's where I think it becomes really complicated, right? Because I might really just genuinely like what is a complicated or unpleasant or really unacceptable fantasy. As a fantasy, knowing full well that it's a fantasy, can we distinguish between reality and fantasy? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like especially complicated in the context, I suppose, of, you know, anime manga, because there are additional like excuses and justifications that you see people like bring up to hand wave away problematic content by virtue of the fact that it's made by people in another country. common example would be bad uh, stereotypes, racial depictions Mm. of people of color in Mm -hmm. manga series, like the Sambo archetype, that caricature, Mm -hmm. and still, unfortunately, very common in even contemporary media. Like, I was uh, reading a book recently, that was a recent book, that still had, like those big white lips and i was like how is this still a thing in this decade in now but it's like people hand wave that away by saying oh in japan they don't have this history uh with this archetype so they don't mean it in like a harmful way but that doesn't really change the fact that it is harmful to perpetuate those caricatures Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's sort of the thing that does sort of bother me when, you know, individuals are sort of content to just kind of dismiss um, those harmful acts as sort of like, oh, well, you know, they didn't intend to do this particular thing. So, okay, Right. And it just kind of stops there as opposed to any sort of work to, you know, to sort of educate and to sort of, you know, any sort of progressive kind of work, you know, to sort of educate those folks who didn't have, let's say, harmful intent. And I use this, you know, sort of like air quotes because there's those, <laughs> you know. But it's like, hey, like, okay, if you understand that, then how about we sort of move forward with, you know, educating folks who right. maybe don't understand why a particular thing is harmful so that they don't do said harmful act again, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to sort of stopping the, the discourse at a particular point. And they're just kind of letting these individuals continue to do harmful things, even though their, you know, again, air quotes, intent is pure or good or whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of just a, a lazy mentality, isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm reminded of the recent uh, Red Cross blood campaign for, with using Uzumaki in a really uncomfortable looking position with gigantic breasts and women in Japan were made seriously uncomfortable and it was meant to draw in otaku to give blood. But they found a way to make it really 
really uncomfortable for women. And what you saw a lot of was uh, male otaku going, well, but we're making it uh, making large-breasted women feel unwelcome. It's like, clearly, that is not the problem. We're saying, gee, this is a really horrible-looking picture. Your sexism is not, uh, you know, you actually have no interest. You, the... The otaku who are arguing that big breasts or gigantic, big fetishized breasts are fun is not the same thing as supporting actual real women with large chests. You're just fetishizing and and creeping out on this. You're not making any substantial change. And by them turning around and saying to people like feminists going, well, you guys just don't support women with large breasts. It's like, well, cut me a break, you know. And so it's just (laughs) a lazy, it's a really lazy way of thinking where, well, they didn't have that intent. It's that argument. My grandfather, you know, or whoever is really racist because back in the day, you know what? They knew it was racism then, too. <laughs> like, yeah. like, you know, if you read Charlie Chan novels, I, I, I read a whole bunch of them when I was uh, younger, uh, in the early part of the 20th century, mm-hmm. all the racist characters are known to be racist. <laughs> like, these are people <laughs> who are being really racist in every book. Charlie comes off as an awesome character. He's always really decent. He's smarter than everybody else, but he's not an asshole about it. And he's really good. And what happens is all the not overtly racist characters, sort of passively racist characters, Mm. because they never really thought about it, realize how horribly racist they've been Mm. without realizing it. So these stories and and the really asshole racist is, is shown as a really asshole racist. And everybody starts pulling away from them by the end of the book. They're like, okay, he's kind of an asshole. Like, <laughs> and so the books actually do show that sort of how that passive racism allows the aggressive racism yeah. to exist. And it does the work of showing how as a passive racist, you can start distancing yourself from aggressive racism by acknowledging your own racism. I don't want to mm-hmm. say without making a fuss. With making a fuss, but you have to do it inside yourself. You have to do the work of yeah. going, you know what? I was really wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to make a point of going, you know what? I was wrong here, and I have changed my mind, and I am being a better person. And this guy, he's kind of a racist. So we need not to be like him. And the books actually do that in real time and as you're reading the book. And I thought, back in the day, they knew they were being racist. They've always known they're being racist. Everybody who's ever been racist or sexist or homophobic knows perfectly well what they're doing. It's not, you know, it's not that's the way it was. Yes, racism was the way it was, but that doesn't mean it was right. Yeah. So yeah. I think it's a really lazy way of thinking when you go, well, they didn't mean anything by it. Yeah, they do. Yeah, you can't hide behind good intentions or humor. This reminds me of the infamous SBS in which a, a female fan of Otis wrote criticizing his the drawing of women. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm kind of mixing two different ones because I'm also thinking about the one where a fan asked him about how he draws women and he drew like a stick figure with two circles for breasts mm-hmm. yeah. and then said, oh, if you draw like this, your female readers will criticize you and be upset, but basically don't listen to them. Just yeah. draw right. So and it's like in doing that, he dismisses yes. and like trivializes the feelings and the effect his objectified depiction of women in the series hurts his female readers, and he doesn't care. Yeah, he equates their concerns and equates like how they are hurt by it as non-important. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And that is a huge issue. Like, you can't... Just because you don't actively intend to hurt someone with something you say or with something you draw doesn't mean it won't and doesn't mean you can just excuse it. That Uzaki blood drive is another example where it's like, yeah, the cause is good, but that doesn't excuse the objectification of that character. And the thing is, they could have done a better job of just picking pictures. I mean, that character... Mm -hmm. Didn't have to be shown the way she was shown breasts first. I mean, there's something really offensive. I just wrote my, the reason I'm even here, I wrote this whole article about problematic art because I was reading Kamakuri Hime and there's a new story in it called Sambal Paris by uh, Ogina Jun. And people are like, oh, he's great. Do you love his work? I'm like, I'm not familiar with it. And then they put Semmel Paris in front of me and I thought, you have got to fucking be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you go to Okazu, I'm not going to beat this to death, but the characters aren't drawn badly. They're drawn really well. They're drawn appallingly stupid. The breasts don't make any sense. I mean, the things they do don't make any sense. The clothing is offensive and stupid. And everything about it is an insult if you're a woman. Mm-hmm. It literally reduces every female character in the series to bulbous water balloon breasts and a crotch and an ass and nothing else. And there's literally no story. The entire story is a crappy derivative Attack on Titan parody that should never have gotten the go to be published at all. It has no story. None of the women do anything that makes any sense outside an adult video. And everything about it is offensive. And I finally, I have never done this. I wrote to the editors. I said, you're really disrespecting your female readers here. This is a magazine that has a large female readership. It's mm-hmm. a Yuri magazine. Oh, and you're wow. literally saying, we don't care about half of our readers. We <laughs> really honestly don't care not only about half, but we don't care about all the kind of not creepy weird men. So figure another 25%. We only care about the few percent of really super creepy asshole guys. Those are the readers we want. And I'm like, really? That's that's the message you want to send? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. I think, you know, one thing that always gets me, you know, particularly is, again, it's just this ability, largely like um, cishet men, to, <laughs> you know, say, I know that I can think and I can I rationalize particular things, but I'm going to stop at a particular point because if I keep going, I will feel like garbage because... I will realize that, oh, I'm doing something that is like horrible, but I don't want to deal with that. So I'm just not going to do any sort of like analytical work or uh, or have those conversations and push in the way that I need to push. You know, so when we talk about, you know, like publishers and editors and individuals who are, you know, saying, oh, well, we're going to ignore this particular area. We're going to ignore, like I said, we're going to ignore women who are, you know, voicing their you know, complaints and their issues about what is being published. And we're just going to, you know, we're just going to try to make money in this particular market, in this particular, you know, uh, target audience or whatever. And it's just like, that's such a like massive kind of like sort of, you know, like ding, ding, ding. There's a link between capitalism and and sexism and all these different things that occur. But guys don't want to make that link. They just want to kind of say, well, you know, business is a business and that's all it is. And I'm like, right. no, yeah. there's a, like, there are a lot of other things that and are, a lot of you know, intersecting. Made. You know, and I bet everybody in this, I bet everybody on this podcast has had that experience where you thought, who is sitting in that room? 
Right, in the room when yeah. it happened, where it was like five white guys, and they're like, oh, yeah, this is a great idea. They're all like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. Like, <laughs> like, you know, we'll definitely put a black person on the on the yep. screen somewhere. That would mm. be fine. Everybody, like, and everyone, went, yeah, 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 that's a great idea. Like, what? <laughs> you know, like, seriously, what, what moment have we all had where you think there was nobody in that room but a bunch of white guys? You know? Yeah. And, and that's... Everything ever. <laughs> I was going to say, every time Disney comes out and is like, hey, we have a gay character now in our movie. Oh, God. Oh, oh, yeah. also, also, we have, we have, a, uh, we have a, a indigenous character look. Look, we have an oh, indigenous yeah. character look. We're so... Uh, you know, but, and then the whole <laughs> the lesbian kiss in, in the last Star Wars movie. Really? Really? That? You're, you're patting oh, yeah. yourself on the back for that, baby? Good job. Yeah. That sounds great. The one that they shot in a way where they could take it out of, like, yeah, the yeah. Chinese yeah. release. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, you guys are so brave. <laughs> but the thing is, that's why things are problematic. But I think there's another thing about problematic stuff is that we can actually like things that are problematic for ourselves. So what I would love to hear, actually, is what people like that's problematic. Ooh, I think for me, um, probably the most the most obvious sort of example that comes to mind is, um, I'd say like a character like Hisoka from Hunter x Hunter. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a big one. I think, you know, whenever I'm talking about things that I sort of view as problematic in, uh, let's say like, show, like in um, battle manga or something like that, you know, in particular like manga within Weekly Shonen Jump, you know, there are a lot of things that I think are just flat out like garbage <laughs> right but you know there are always like a few people that have come back to me you know um and just with like really just like a, so much passion and they'll always say well you like hisoka <laughs> and it's like yes. uh, uh, yeah <laughs> you know and, and and i always have to sort of take a like i always have to sort of pause there and think about you know like what's happening here and how do i sort of you know how do i sort of reconcile my criticisms of sort of like the sexism that goes on within Weekly Shonen Jump and my love of, and I'm just going to be straight up honest, like Hisoka is like probably like one of my massive like crushes, like if I had a fictional <laughs> crush, it'd be like Hisoka. I like, I can't, I don't know. I I, I just, I gotta, I gotta figure that out. You go weak, huh? Yeah. <laughs> you know? It. It's like I always say, I feel like I say this like every other podcast, like the it's, it's kind of weird to think that the most charming character and all of Hunter Hunter is a pedophilic clown man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so that, so to me, I think that's sort of interesting, you know, like, oh, I wouldn't say interesting, that might not be the right word, but just, you know, it's something that I think I, I think about quite a lot, you know, just figure out like, what's going on? Like, how do I reconcile that? And I don't know. I don't know. You know, I have some thoughts about it, but I don't know. I want to hear what sort of what your kind of problematic faves are as well. Hmm. Well, I guess for me, um, I have a couple, but I guess the first thing that like pops into my head is, uh, I'm sure a lot of us here are a fan of this particular series, but like, I, I love Yu Yu Hakusho to death, uh, yeah. and is, you know, it was one of my favorite anime of all time, but you know, there's, uh, every time I rewatch it and I get to, and I get to yeah. one of the earlier arcs in particular, there's always oh, that yeah. one bit where it's like, oh, Yusuke and Kuwabara have to fight against this trans person who they just constantly rag on because it's yeah. the 90s and I guess Yusuke nobody cares about that kind assaults of thing. her. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Denies that she is a woman. Yeah, that episode is like so rough. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's the worst episode of the entire show. 
And you kind of wonder, was it there for cheap laughs? Was it there to make a point? Did they just get lazy? I mean, awkward. Which especially yeah. blows my mind because Togashi, I know, in like extra pages of the volumes or whatever, you know, he talks about how there was one point where he wanted to possibly do a like an actual gay sports manga in Jump. Mm. But like, I don't know, like as as interesting as that sounds, like I also don't know if if I trust Togashi back then to handle that kind of thing. Yeah, in a, yeah right. In, yeah. In a mature way, you know? Yeah. Would we even trust anybody now is really <laughs> Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but 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 I I do think he has made strides to be better about that kind of thing, especially with characters like Aluka in particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he definitely improved over time. He, I would like to think that he educated himself and then taught about this stuff more. Because he was very clearly interested in queer characters and queer themes like early on. But I think his understanding of those characters matured as he, you know, continued on in his career. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Also, I hope fans wrote him. I mean, that's one yeah. of the things that, you know, that the, the surveys are good for and the sending in the cards are good for. You could say, I really like this comic, but please don't make this character. Like, here's a good one. Let's go back to Oda for a moment. We're using a lot of Shonen Jump stuff, and I think that's good because it's uh, very popular. Mm-hmm. Let's look at Mr. Two. Mr. Two, of course, Bunkei yeah. Sama uh. is a super hyper stereotype, but is there a braver person in the entire series? <laughs> yeah. He's a legitimately I good love character. Mr. Legitimately yeah. fabulous character. And I wrote a pen to him in, for the manga Movable Feast some years ago because he has got the greatest image song ever. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that I actually keep on my current MP3 player and I listen to it because it's just that great. Because he's talking about because I'm a man and a woman, I'm the best. I'm the yeah. greatest. <laughs> and it's a fantastic song about self love. Mm. And acceptance. And the thing is, yes, he shows up and he's obviously meant as a caricature and he's meant to be ridiculous and without the swan stuff and everything. And then he just is the greatest effing character in the series. He's just <laughs> fabulous. Yep. And and they just, you know, I feel like Oda did this and was like having a joke at people's expense. And then somebody said, you know what? You could do better. Yeah. yeah. And then he did. Yeah, see, because that because yeah, a lot of fans when talking about Oda, you know, his depiction of the LGBT demographic, they bring up that uh, Yvonne Kaw's voice actor, the original one, mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. someone that Oda like greatly admired. Like he went out to uh, see this person, you know, at a bar one day, and he was like really drawn in by the performance, and he loved what they did. He's like, all right, I'm going to base a character on them, and I want to give them this role because I love them so much. And so a lot of fans point to that to be like, well, you know, this is why you can't really blame Oda for, you know, the other missteps he has, because he clearly does, you know, love LGBT people, apparently, because he has these great characters like Bon Clay and Ivankov. But then he turns around at the same time, he has a character that is openly more and more transphobic. And you have an entire island of, you know these caricatures and people are like, Oh look, it's so revolutionary because these characters have their own island and they're fighting for the revolutionaries. And you know, he's depicting them as being the good guys. And I'm like, yeah, but they're all caricatures that are like, yeah, 
Yeah, and it's the whole gay panic thing, you know? Yeah. It's the whole yeah. trans yeah. panic thing. It's like, I used to like Sanjay, you know what I'm saying? Like, at that moment, <laughs> I was like, oh, fuck <laughs> you, <dude." laughs> like, like, you know, like, get over yourself. Like, can you just stop for one second, you yeah. know? And I was going to say, I would... I would argue that right now Sanji is probably the worst character. Oh, in the I would agree. Absolutely. And I, Absolutely. I, I, I hate saying that too because, like, I he he used to be a legitimately good, cool character. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but, no, I agree. I agree. They've they, they've rendered him into just a, like a ball of constant sexism. Yeah, yeah. that's all he yeah. is. There's nothing else. Yeah, he's that one trait and nothing else. Yeah, and it's really tiresome. It's a particularly tiresome trait. That draws me back to another thing that I want to quickly point out, though, because Oda did a recent arc with Sanji, where it seems like his sole goal was to be like, hey, look, you know, remember why you like this guy so much? Remember why you loved him? Let's Mm -hmm. talk about all the positive things he's done and how he doesn't need to change at all. And fans kind of just ate that up, even though the entire arc was just basically reinforcing every toxic stereotype he already holds. And I'm like... How do people not see that that's what he's going for is to make him more palpable and acceptable to be like, hey, look, he's not that bad. Remember all the good things about him. And it just bugs me. Except he doesn't use any yeah. of the he doesn't use any of the good things that we like about Sanji, though. Except that's the for the thing. cooking. No, except yeah. for the cooking. And that seems yeah. to be what we've balanced. Sanji is now two things. Right. He desperately wants to feed people and make them happy. And in one hour, he just recently got into a big fight just because somebody wasted food. And we're like, right, right, right. Remember, that was back in the day when he was, you know, a good person. But on the other hand, he's still a sexist dick. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, really, when you're when you're quadrupling down on a character's misogyny as one of their main selling points, you've definitely lost something. Yeah. Critical. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we, we mentioned gay panic earlier. I just want to put out there as uh, as someone who's also a fan of Gintama, you know, unfortunately there's, uh, and this is, thankfully this is only like an anime original episode, like, I mean, that's not to say Sirachi in particular doesn't sometimes delve into the uh, homophobic jokes every once in a while, but he, he also, like Oda, still has, I think, really cool trans characters in the form of uh, Saigo in particular. But uh, and unfortunately, there's there's an entire... It's not an entire episode, but there's a half episode. Uh, there's like, I guess, a, there's an A and a B episode. And the A episode in particular is just all about how somebody from uh, from Saigo's uh, Okama bar in particular is in love with, uh, with a male hostess. And the entire thing about that episode is... Uh, the odd jobs in particular are our three main characters, Gin, Kagura, and Shinpachi being grossed out by that for whatever reason, mm-hmm. because that's yeah. funny. And that's really, mm-hmm. that's that's a real shame in particular when we have an entire episode about our main characters basically learning to accept Saigo for who he is, because we because at the end of the day, he's a person and not just someone to make fun of, which uh, you can tell it's an, it's an anime original episode because it completely steps on... It completely steps on whatever lesson Sirachi's trying to teach the reader in the beginning. So, you know, one of the things I want to say, I was on Twitter and I follow this person who goes by the name of Melon on Twitter, um, writer of Scratch, who does great mm-hmm. stuff in terms of LGBTQ mm-hmm. representation and uh, rights in Japan. And they had a post recently, they were rewatching the anime of Horomusuko Wandering Sun. Mm-hmm. And they noticed that one of the two adult trans characters in the series refers to themselves as Okama. 
And they were like, is that really okay? And then we started getting into a conversation about Shimura Takako because she writes this stuff that is overtly queer, although she is herself not. Mm. And how it brings out so many complicated feelings in all of us. You know, mm-hmm. we, there are things that we want to like. There's things that she does that are fabulous. There are other things that we want to put her through a wall. There are <laughs> things that we want to put the characters through a wall and maybe weren't even uh, Shamara's um, choice. So it just opens this stuff to such complication because you have something like Wandering Sun, which is about, for those of you who aren't aware of it, it's about two trans tweens. Mm. And in a lot of ways, it's super empathetic and super supportive. And a lot of ways, it really isn't. And in other ways, it's neither sympathetic nor anti-sympathetic. It's sort of just like, why did we just do that scene at all? What was it for? And what happens Mm -hmm. is as a result of these two characters being there, we have other queer characters in the story. One of the boys comes out as gay. One of the girls turns out to be maybe non-binary or maybe she just doesn't give a fuck, which I totally support. But is there a lesson to take from the series? <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know. And so so that's problematic in itself because you have a straight person doing a queer, overtly queer story and yeah. maybe not giving us the things that the queer audience needs. I feel that way about Bloom and To You, too. A lot of people who are asexual uh, yeah, are like, yeah. woo! And I'm like, don't do that. Your heart's going to be broken. And, mm. and I've been talking a lot with a young person who recently reached out to me and, and she's finding herself that your media is breaking her heart. Mm. And I'm like, it will because so many of the creators are not queer. Yeah. Even the stuff that's queer yeah. because it's going to be for a larger audience. So, so that's a form of the complications that we run into, but I feel like that's, that's not what makes it complicated. That's our relationship with it is complicated. Yeah. You yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's difficult. Because we're looking for things that maybe weren't there in the first place and never were going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that kind of is a... Good segue into like my problematic fave, which I my online handle is Lum Ramayasha. So very clearly, <laughs> I love the works of Rumiko Takahashi. Yes, and Rumiko no. Takahashi yeah. is <laughs> very like in her works. Like there are a lot of queer coded characters. Right. Yeah, even though her stories are not explicitly meant to be about queer teens, but like you have characters like Ryunosuke and Ram and uh, Ursa Yatsura, who. Mm-hmm as someone who is, like, presenting masculine, who is, like, fighting to be allowed to express her femininity, she read as, like, trans woman. And then Rama, of course, like, famously, Rama can change his physical sex. And then you have, like, there was this great piece on uh, Annie Fen recently where someone really articulated super well how Rama reads as trans masculine because even in his female body like he's fighting to be seen and perceived and treated as male as male yeah yeah that was a great article yeah mm. and but rumiko takashi like consistently also you know has characters act homophobically or transphobically and she has like bad characters and stereotypes like uh sabasa kurnai rama it's like probably like one of the the worst example of this is like like a character that falls into a bunch of harmful stereotypes about trans or gay people and people react to them in disgust and that's pretty difficult to kind of deal with but 
Rumiko Takahashi's works mean a lot to me, and like Rama was very like formative for me as someone like when I was exploring and thinking about my own gender and like how I identify and present myself and how I, you know, would want to have Rama's ability. And I remember back in the day when fanfic was sort of how people were really fan art and fanfic were one of the primary ways for people to uh, really engage in fandom. I remember back in Usenet, people were discovering Ranma and people were having feelings, you know, about things that they had never thought about before. And it was really one of the most influential things in terms of seeing a queer fandom Mm. develop on Usenet, which was basically a sausage fest. <laughs> yeah. So for having people going in on the guy, and I've, I've, but I'm watching Rama, I'm like starting to think about things now, and I never really thought about it. And watching people work out through fanfic and fan art things that they had just never considered considering. It was really fascinating to watch that. So, yeah, there's a lot of problems. And to speak to the heartbreak aspect, like you were mentioning earlier, with stuff like Blooming to You and how people. Mm-hmm read that as oh you is an asexual character but really you know she was just kind of learning to grow into her feelings but like with rama that was also how like i felt is like i wanted rama to like kind of explore their sexuality more and like kind of be more open to their feminine side and then kind of maybe explore their masculinity in a more positive way too the series has a problem with that yeah that wasn't gonna do that no like it doesn't at all and so that was disappointing yeah it is very disappointing and and the women in that the strong women in that are consistently made fun of yeah i that's also i I lost my love for rama very very complicated thing I mean, I, I love the the cast of Ranma, but that's another huge disappointment is that the female characters are not emphasized in the fighting uh, as much. And, and when they, they do, are... they're made fun of. Yeah, which that is That was actually problem. why I stopped watching Dr. Stone, too, yeah. because you have this really strong character, and all they do is make fun of her. And I'm and like, you sucks. know what? This is why anime has to have 14-year-olds, because if I walked onto that set, I'd kick those guys <laughs> in the fucking balls and be like, shut the motherfucking car assholes leave yeah. this girl alone she's 15 times stronger way smarter and you're a bunch of dicks yeah, i would yeah. freak out at them this is why everybody has to be 14 because yeah. nobody would nobody has the the emotional wherewithal to say shut the fuck up i will say that takahashi i think really kind of improved on a lot of things with inuyasha in mm. terms of exploring female characters and giving them a lot of weight and involvement and presence and also even though Jokotsu of the Band 7 is still a stereotype, at least Jokotsu is like a more fully fleshed out, well-rounded character that has more complex relationships with other characters and is more like a human character, more so than someone like Tsubasa Kurin and Rama. But don't you think Kikyo is like totally screwed? Tikyo? Like, I mean, yeah. Tikyo is such a tragic I mean, character. No, she's not. See, this is why I'm telling you folks, you're reading women all wrong. People look at uh, Elizabeth Warren and they go, wow, she's angry. No, of course we're angry. We're all fucking yeah. angry. Guys no. are terrible <laughs> women. No, you know, like, I love Kikyo and dream. she's treated so badly. Kikyo, yeah. She no, was just treated so fucking badly. I love angry women and I can't stand yeah. that media makes angry women look to be bad. Yeah. Like we're angry for a very, very, very good reason. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know? No, I agree. Oh, yeah. 
I always <laughs> empathized with Kikyo and like understood where she's coming from because she was like horribly betrayed by the person she was close to, at least she thought. And like, yeah, I totally right. understood. I never understood like why the fandom hated Kikyo so much because she, in my opinion, was totally justified. And yeah. I will say, I think Kikyo in the series has a really good character arc and like is like explored well and treated well as a character. I think yeah. the fandom really, though, the, the fandom, fandom really ragged on her. I Rumiko Takashi actually got a letter from a young fan was like, I hate Kikyo so much. Please <laughs> wow. kill her. And Takashi wow. was like, well, what like, do I do with normal. this? Yeah. Well, the thing is too, if you, I mean, I get it. You know, we all feel a certain possession of this media, of the media we love, but like, I say this all the time on Twitter, like, if your response to something is, I'm going to send death threats, there's something very wrong with you. I don't care if it's fictitious or not. That's not normal. That's not average. That's not okay. Like, that's all right. I just want to jump in with my real problematic thing. I like extreme violence. Oh, yeah. But I don't think it's problematic at all. Oh, yeah. Because I don't like exploitative violence. I like when two people who are totally capable of beating the living shit out of each other do that. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I like MMA. I mean, I was a martial arts teacher for years. I like people beating the crap out of each other. Blood sports don't bother me. Mm-hmm. So when I read something like Murcielago, people are like, oh, it's so disgusting. I'm like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What do you say? Your problem with that is, let me explain this. It is a violence Yuri manga. Um, it is, uh, has some of the ugliest uh, violence I've ever seen. It's got also some of the ugliest lesbian sex I've ever seen. <laughs> And that is why I like it. And I don't really see that it's... I have no guilty pleasures. I don't really find problematic things problematic as long as you just go, well, you might not like this. I could understand extreme violence is not your thing. I want to watch people be killed in gruesome and violent matters or or people beating the crap out of each other. Same. You know? (laughs) I mean, I don't like watching people abuse children or the powerless or or punching down. I find that very offensive. Yeah, that's not a good time, no. Boring. (laughs) I find it very boring. I find it like cheap thrills. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of the way I feel about incest and that kind of thing. It's like, really? (laughs) You know? But, um, (laughs) you know, I really like when when people really go at it and beat the crap out of each other. Oh, yeah, definitely. That's why I love Vinland Saga so much, is that's my guilty fave. Where you have a series about a man learning to be a pacifist, and yet it has some of the most gruesome violence, like the <laughs> bloodiest battles in any manga, and I just absolutely revel in it. And I always, every time I think about it, I'm like, wow, like I really love Thorkel, who's my favorite character in Vinland Saga, and that's a man who just lives for, you know, the bloodlust and the battle, and that's mm-hmm. all he does, and I'm like, I'm totally owning it, I love him because he's a violent meathead. Yeah, and it's cool. I think that's cool. I mean, it's because it, as long as he's not going around killing, you know, children and yeah. non-combatants or whatever, like that's then it's not violence. Then that's just gross, you yeah. know, and boring. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. actually brings us to kind of another interesting, like, distinction I want to explore. Like, what is the difference between a guilty pleasure and a problematic favorite? Like, are those? one in the same or do you feel like there is like a significant difference between them that we could explore hmm. i thought about this question a lot i think out of all the questions um uh, i mean all the questions are great but i think this one was really was like particularly interesting because you know when we think about that sort of that sort of difference i think you can have 
guilty pleasures that are problematic faves. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think that's one instance where I feel like, you know, sort of like crushing and like, on. I, I wouldn't even call it crushing, honestly. Like when it comes to like Ahsoka, like characters like, like Ahsoka, I'm like, I think crushing is like kind of like uh, understating it. Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> right? But I think that, you know, yeah, like, like I think a lot of us do have problematic phrases that are, you know, that are guilty pleasures. And, and, you know, and we feel guilty about it because we understand sort of like the nuance in that and, and that there are issues with, you know, particular um, portrayals of set characters and that sort of thing. But I also think that sometimes when we think about guilty pleasures, sometimes it's not, it doesn't really have much to do with something being problematic at all, so much as it has to do with sort of external um, sort of shaming Right. Where like mm, you yeah. might have like so like for me, like when I was, you know, when I was like um, 18, 17, one show that I love that I um, love and still love like to this day, like is the Golden Girls. I adore the Golden mm. Girls. Like <laughs> I let me tell you. All right. And, and, <laughs> right? Wait, let me get settled here. OK, I got a <laughs> so like I had a friend and, I, you know, I was working at a supermarket and a friend had said, hey, like you might like this show. You know, I, I like this called the Golden Girls. And. I was like that sort of like external shamer, right? I was like, oh, the Golden Girls. And then I watched an episode and I was like, oh, this is okay, okay. And then I just kept watching episodes and I was like, this is the best thing I've ever seen. And I adored this. And like, why do I stand Dorothy so much? Like, right? <laughs> so, but the thing was, like, I had a lot of, whenever I mentioned it, you know, sort of like in passing, you know, and I get the same thing from different sides where people would be like, oh, like, you're, you know, really like that show? Like, and I get the same thing with Sex in the City, and I get the same thing with, you know, other shows that, you know, as a guy, like, you weren't supposed to like. You weren't supposed to be in- invested in or interested in it at all. And those are, like, guilty pleasures to me at the time, because I didn't feel like, you know, I felt guilty about it, but that was from something else. You know, it wasn't, like, a problematic thing. You were made to feel guilty, not so much that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, there there are sort of differences there. Definitely. To me, I'm also kind of in the same camp where it's like, you know, there is a lot of overlap between guilty pleasures and problematic favorites and for me there's like all right for me like a guilty pleasure would be something like all right i love to watch you know hgtv or food network and watch those stupid you know the cupcake wars or something stupid like that where it's not going to enrich me in any way to watch a bunch of people make you know, delicious sugary food or watch this couple try to find this perfect house for them and their dog you know and whatever for a modest budget of three and a half million dollars. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's like not, none of that's going to enrich me or like make me a better person or like inform me of stuff. It's just stupid things you watch to kind of just relax, de-stress whatsoever. So you have guilty pleasures like that. Then you have the ones, you know, that kind of cross over into different territories. Because uh, a friend of mine recently turned me on to Kill La Kill, which, has a, prop, which has a prominent decisiveness in the fandom. And that's oh, one that's series so where I'm like, much. it's so problematic, but oh, it's so, so much fun at the same time. It is, the one, it is literally the most anime. It's the most anime ever. I wouldn't change a thing. It's not even problematic. It's going, look, screw you. If you're going to not going to understand what we're doing here, then you didn't understand it. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's so over the top. Yeah, it's come back around. That's the thing. When I, when I first saw it, I'm like, all right, this show cannot be real, but then you get into it and like, yeah, so it is. It just revels in how over the top and ridiculous it is. And it's just so much fun to kind of just lose yourself in it and not have to think about anything, you know, for the span of a 30-minute episode. And so, you know, like those kinds of shows, I know there's a lot, or something like uh, 
Lupin the Third with you know Fujiko Mine's episodes, where you have the character of Fujiko Mine who you know a lot of people are like you know is she an empowerment tale or is she you know kind of a sexist stereotype? We have the different depictions and stuff of that character, and I feel like that mm-hmm. also kind of crosses into is this a guilty pleasure or is this more you know problematic favorite as well? That's a good point. I don't have guilty pleasures. I don't feel guilt about anything I find pleasurable, anything at all. Yeah, I think I'm in that category too. I mean, it, it seems really like a weird thing to say because, you know, we all have things that we don't want other people to know, but I don't really care. I've never really thought about other, what other people think about it at all. Um, and my whole life has always been doing whatever I wanted and nobody around me was doing it. So it just doesn't matter to me. It's like, yeah, this is what I'm into. Mm-hmm. I do recognize, however, that there are things that you might like in fiction that you would not accept in the real world. And so yeah. not so much guilty pleasure, but like if I'm reading a story, a, a manga or something, and it's got like a, a teacher-student relationship, I realize that in the real world, that's really not okay. And there's literally nothing okay about it, like unless they're both adults, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even then, there's a power dynamic that really makes it not okay. Mm-hmm. But in, yeah. I'm reading manga. Who gives a shit? It's a manga. <laughs> I am capable of telling the difference between a story about a student-teacher relationship in the real world and one in a manga. You know, so so mm-hmm. I'm not guilty mm-hmm. about it, but I do feel like there's sometimes I'm allowed to just like something that's crap. <laughs> like Kill a Kill is a great example <laughs> because it's it's really exploitative, but in a lot of ways it kind of is so ridiculously done so that you really can't take offense at it. I really, I find, I just find that like it's kind of so much of a muchness that yeah. right away, right away, you're gonna realize this is not okay. This is not a series that you can just go. Well, I like this piece, but not this piece. Either you like all of its horribleness, or you need to stop right away. Yeah. yeah. One thing I think that's interesting though is like, do we feel like there are sort of like limits to that? Like in a sense, like are there things that like can be depicted in like our media that is just like trash? This is ridiculous. This is like horribly offensive and and, yeah. and that people like enjoy like i think that's the thing so like for me like you know one thing that that kind of comes to mind um i was just kind of come back to like shonen shonen jump but like there are other things too but one thing that comes to mind is you know whenever people talk about like shaman king right and um the character of like Chaco love like comes up right people are like shaman king is so good but Chaco love though right because he's this um black character who is just extremely like racist yeah, yeah. And I think that's sort of the thing where, like, I think that's sort of an instance where, you know, I try to think about that. I was like, is there some, like, an instance where there's something that, let's say, might, ha- might happen in the series that is just like, what is this, right? Where you're just like, what even is this? It's one and step too far. Kind yeah, of- yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is there something that, like, might be, like, one step too far? And I think with, with that character, it's interesting. You know, part of it is sort of like, it comes down to you sort of like you as the reader, as the person that's engaging with the material. And it's like, do you understand that this is an issue? Like, mm-hmm. are, like, like, yeah. to the point, you know, and also it's sort of like, you know, not only that, but I think part of it is like, do you feel like the person that's creating that material understands that understands there are these like, issues? Yeah. Right. And I think with Kill a Kill, I think that's a thing. I think like they're like very much so like mm-hmm. there are things where they're, they're, they're clearly sort of pushing in that way. And I think that's why so many people sort of engage with it in a way where it's like, oh, we like, right. We know that there's like problematics. I think the creators know that there are problematics. But there's like a sort of like interesting way, like engagement and sort of discourse that happens there, you know, whereas with like other sort of things, you know, sort of like a Choco Love, it's like, I don't know if the manga 
if he knew that that was like an issue at the mm. time, you know, and, and yeah. I think both, there were sort of differences in that way. Yeah. That's an incredible point yeah. mm-hmm. because that is an important line that we all have to draw as somebody engaging it. We can, we can really like something and take something away from it and still know that maybe they didn't mean it that way. And we're reading how much into it, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I, I think so much, particularly those of those of us, I don't know if any of you are, are, old enough to remember this, but those of us who were beginning to really engage with anime manga in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, we're watching this stuff without context, right? So there's just sort of this alien quality to it. It's over there-ness of it. Mm-hmm. And we were having these conversations, as I said on Usenet, where we are creating those contexts because yeah. there wasn't really a, a, a lot of nerd queer culture. That was relatively new. There was no discussions of racism. Not really, you know, not not in, not in the nerd world, and and honestly, that's still an evolving conversation, right? You know, with all the the blurred uh, blogs and groups and and folks like you, BMC, and and I think that's awesome and super. Back in the '90s, it was kind of like it was all like I said, it was mostly white dudes, and and there yeah. was this very nerd, very you know that that kind of group of people that have now become all the gators, you know, that are all offensive. And so you didn't have a lot of dialogue over those things. We weren't engaging with those things, so we created different spaces for the engagement. So that's why I created Yurikon, that's why you know, things like Yaoicon existed. We need to be able to have a space where no one's going to go, well, you don't understand, but actually, you know, we like, yeah, fuck you. You know, we, we don't really see Japan about you. is a different culture from ours. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, was actually, it was actually the folks that were like moon language, and I was like, bye. Oh, boy. Like, that is a no, no, no yep. for, for me. Yep. Um, mm. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, there's no feminism in Japan. So like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. Japan there isn't is. political, guys. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <way>. Yeah. <laughs> right. There's totally no politics there. No, so, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah, not at all. And, and, and it's because of one thing or another that we don't understand, you know, that kind of thing. So I think, I think that the conversations we're having are evolved so tremendously in the past 20 years that we're really not even in a same space. And I think it's awesome that we can have a conversation about this and go, all of it's good and bad, and the things that are problematic, we have problematic things are on three levels. And I think you just created a great point, is did the creator have intent or not? Is a particular factor, it's it's a vector of problematic. Does the, the, does the publisher's understand that there's problematic that's another vector does the fandom understand any underlying message or not and if not are they arguing for the right to be problematic or not that those are other vectors and then Mm. there's individual engagement with it which puts it on a whole nother level because you might see something as i say you might read something and think yeah that's that's awesome i i think this is great problematic and it's i really enjoy this and I might look at him and go, wow, that's really offensive. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so there's each one of these feeds into the vector of what makes this pleasurable and or problematic. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone draws the line at different places, but you have to respect where people draw the line and be okay with that. I mean, really, if somebody says to me something is problematic to them, I have to acknowledge that. I mean, it's not that hard for me to go, I understand. What can be done, though, is I might say, and I understand that, and I still like it anyway. 
Yeah. Mm. But why? What does that say about me? What am I arguing? Am I just saying I like it anyway, even though I know it's really crappy and really terrible and possibly really harmful? (laughs) Maybe I still can make space for that in my head. Can I just say that I I think the best example of this kind of thing would be, uh, uh, and we talked about this on the podcast pretty recently, is the whole uh, controversy with My Hero Academia and the naming of uh, Maruta Shiga. Right. And where, you know... In my mind, I think Horikoshi in particular, I don't think he did that with any sort of malicious intent, but I do think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, clearly these two things like go hand in hand and are like related to each other. And it it feels like he is making a direct reference to a real thing that happened in in the real world. mm -hmm. You know, your intent only goes so far. I mean, the bottom line is that I don't care if you intended to offend. You did. Now, they did the right thing, ultimately. Oh, yeah, for sure. But 10 seconds of research, go online, check that the name you're picking is not really, really, really offensive. I'm going to pick some, I don't know. Let's see, I have a character who's from Nigeria. I'm going to pick a bunch of words that sound Nigerian. Do I want to just go look and make sure that isn't, like, the most offensive thing I can say? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, how, how hard is that to just do? You're online anyway, you know? I mean, I get it. You don't have friends that are whatever. You know, maybe you don't have friends who are World War II otaku, or maybe you do and you don't realize how horrible they are, you know, because it's out of context. Yeah. You know, you've got these two friends who are, oh, yeah, this would be a great name, and you don't think, hmm, they're weird. Let me find out why they like that so much. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the situation with MHA and Horikoshi also kind of brings to mind the importance of being educated and aware of these issues, because Japan does deny like the war crimes they've committed in Robo 2 so you know there could have been a lack of education on Horikoshi's part on like the extent the traumatic extent of what was done and mm. maybe just did not deeply consider that and so I think that's why it's important to be educated and be aware of how media and effects and can be hurtful to people absolutely absolutely i mean you know we have real world um equivalents here with people talking about the concentration camps we're building for people at the border going we don't do that and i'm like hello japan internment camps but you don't learn that about that in school certainly Mm -hmm. when i was in school none of that was covered Mm. i don't know if they do that now i somehow feel like they probably don't yeah. I feel like I learned about that kind of thing at least a Did little you? bit. Well, but, I think yeah. very limited. In my recollection, very limited. I feel like in I mean, general, yeah. in history classes here, I don't think we go that deep into like some of the really, truly horrible things that have happened in our history in right. the school systems. Yeah. Like the massacres, crimes against humanity committed right. against Native Americans, against uh, Black people against people of color against women like there's so much heinous stuff in our history that is not being taught right so i feel like that's very normal for people not to realize yes it's up to us each individually to understand that yeah yeah there's no question Mm -hmm. it kind of brings to mind to me when you hear authors online you're talking about writing an experience that's outside their purview and you mean like about... American Dirt? Yeah, exactly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, boy, that, that's just such a whole mess. But you know, Oh, the, my God, it's so you know, massive. People kind of suggest that, you know, if you're going to write something that you do not have personal experience with, it's beneficial to kind of get a sensitivity reader to go over your work 
and you kind of provide their input on, you know, is something you're putting in there offensive? Is it going to hurt someone? Uh, how can you portray this better? And I don't know, yeah. like, how well that would work for doing something in anime manga where you have someone that kind of does play a similar role where it's like, all right, is something you're putting into this work going to be super transphobic or bigoted or something? You know, can mm-hmm. we take it out and remove it? And this brought to mind something we started recently with uh, the Shonen Jump editors, where there's an interview that came out, and they're talking about, you know, oh. why aren't there men of female editors in yeah. Shonen Jump? Yeah. And amazingly, they were misogynist assholes. Oh, I'm God. shocked. Yeah. 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 You can imagine. Just the comments <laughs> about, like, oh, you know, I wish we had one so she could, you know, make me or, like, speak down to Jesus. me. Like, oh, I really yeah. look forward to that kind of stuff. It's like, all right. And they wonder why women don't want to work with them. But they don't wonder why. They them. don't care. And that was just one more way of keeping women nowhere near. It's just... Yeah. yeah. It's always about creating creating a, a bubble around yourself in which your Rolodex only has people that look like you and sound like you. Yeah. And making sure that the qualities that you're looking for are only people who look like you and sound like you. Yeah. And therefore, you are never troubled with the idea that it's possibly you. Yeah. That's the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, even like with Bloom to You, I feel like if um, Nakatani Sensei had a queer friend, they might have been able to say, maybe you could not do what you did with you. Yeah. There was a di- different way to approach that. Um, and I kind of saw it coming because the whole thing was being sold. But it's also in running in Denga Kidayo. So it's running in a magazine for mostly adult men, straight men. And so they don't care. It's not like they're sitting there going, well, this wasn't sensitive to queer needs, you know, <laughs> give a mm-hmm. shit. And then you have the character like Sayaka, who's fabulous, and the two adult, you know, Rikako and, and Miyako. So, uh, you know, is there problematic series or is it not? Well, it is if you were asexual and you thought you were going to finally have a decent character. Mm-hmm. But we've talked about, like, you know, where we find it comfortable to draw the line and respecting the places other people might draw the line just generally have an empathy for other people oh but i actually on the subject of like a series that i think did a good job of like really researching the subject it was writing about and learning about it and trying to be sensitive to it is actually golden Conway. actually mm-hmm. i believe satoru noah has an advisor and they did the research and so the series has been praised for their depiction of ainu culture and People of Ainu descent in Japan have very have lauded the series for its depiction of the culture. So I mean, I think that's a good example of a series. Where... And that's a very good example because I didn't like it at all. It read totally Lone Ranger <laughs> Kimosabi to me. It was like we call this maze. I was like, seriously, nobody talks like that. <laughs> I really, I felt that so enraging. And people were like, this is really good. And I'm like. Really? Do you walk around going, my people call these matzo balls? I mean, seriously, who the fuck does that? <laughs> I mean, it's definitely written for the benefit of people, not from the culture. So they but have no, to, like, But also people who are you. morons. Yeah, I mean, that's true. <laughs> because that's not how people talk. All right, let's say I want to make blinis. All right. I would just say, I'm making blinis. And if you say, what's a blini? Yeah. I'll say, well, it's like a sort of similar to a, maybe a, a pierogi that's unwrapped, I guess, or, or a cracker kind of thing. I mean, I would, I would explain it to you and go, we call these blinis, you know? You know <laughs> this is not how human beings as a group talk. We don't say things like, well, as you would say in your culture, you know, 
it's the the straw that broke the camel's back. Like we don't say that. That's not how people talk. <laughs> and it drove me crazy. And I thought it got so in the way of what might have been a really good story to be like, look at us. We are so this thing here. Look at us. We're doing this thing. Look at us doing it. <laughs> Get out of your own goddamn way and just do it. <laughs> It just drove me crazy. I read like a volume and a half. I was like, done, done. That is interesting. I hadn't really like thought about that before. I, I could I could see why that would be really obnoxious, even though I'm sure a lot of people have kind of gotten, can thankfully kind of read past that. But still, yeah, that, that is interesting. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't think about that, right? Is that like, even sort of like this sort of conversation, this is like sort of snippet of the conversation that we just had. This to me is like very like, like, when I say, like, basic, I just mean, like, I don't mean, like, like, like basic, like, in a bad way or anything like that. You know what I mean? But it's, like, this Not is, like, this slang is, basic. Just yeah, basic. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? But it's, like, this is something that people should be able to do, like, mm-hmm. pretty effortlessly, right? It's, like, hey, I had this issue. I didn't like, you know, I, like, I didn't like this. It seemed obnoxious to me. It was kind of, like, it was annoying. So I decided not to read it. Hey, hmm, interesting point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even when I was trying to comment on it, I was I was trying to comment in a way that didn't. I was trying not to sound condescending when I said that. I, I really I really did mean like, oh, that's that's an interesting way to look at Golden sure. Kamui. I yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that before, but yeah, that is that is kind of weird how the dialogue kind of works sometimes because it and, and I get why, but it's also it's also trying to educate its readers as well. So yes, yeah, and that's totally valid. And I didn't. And this is so important for all problematic stuff. I can dislike it, and you can like it, and both of us be right. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the mm-hmm. part that we don't have, right? Yeah, to talk we, we, about yeah. this conversation, like BMC is saying, to have this conversation, I could say, wow, I found that super irritating. And you can go, well, I really liked it because I learned a lot. And I can go, well, that's a perspective I didn't have. And you can say, well, that's a perspective I didn't have. And we can both go, we're both right. Let's go get some lunch, yeah. Yeah. you know? We don't have to be assholes to each other like everyone else is on the internet. Yeah, you know? and that's, uh, that's the kind of conversations we should be having more of. And so right. often I see that is not how the conversations go. Yeah. Whenever people bring up problematic content and want to have a conversation about it, the response is very defensive and saying, and like trying to shift the goalposts or like yeah. shift direction, attack the person bringing up the complaint by saying, oh, you like this problematic thing, so why is that okay? Why don't you like this thing? Or how dare you like this thing? The problem here is several fold. People are not taught to have conversations. They're taught to win conversations and or they're Mm. they're punished for losing conversations. Mm. We don't have rules of discourse. We don't really say to kids, it's okay to just listen to somebody else's perspective and go, hmm, that's a very good point. Everything Mm. is a debate with some people. Oh, right. And then there's just people who are assholes. I mean, that's Mm, the other thing. I mean, you get people who are just defensive and angry and, you know, maybe they don't know how to listen. Maybe they don't, they don't feel listened to. Uh, I was in, I had an office job uh, years ago where we had a person who would, in every meeting, she would talk for straight for an hour and we all could hear her and say, yes, you have a point, but she never stopped. And we'd say to her one day, why do you do that? And she goes, I don't feel heard. And we were like, we actually do hear you, but other people have to be able to say what they have to say, too. And she couldn't accept that part. Um, and that was mm. a real thing. And we finally ended up, the, the whole meeting group thing had to be, um, disband and reform because we couldn't get anything done. Um, and I think that's part of, we just don't teach people how to have discourse. But also, when we're talking about things that are so emotionally charged, mm-hmm. I mean, if we're having a conversation here, 
We had somebody in this group right now who was defending the right to be offensive. We might all really think, what a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, and then it gets emotional and it's very we're all on basically the same page even if even if our individual lines don't match up we're all on the page of hey problematic content exists we need to understand the different vectors of it we kind of have to understand it in ourselves we're all on that page but if we had somebody going no art has the right to be in your face and who cares who it offends and it's your problem we'd all be like what do we do <laughs> yeah, so many arguments from that line of thinking it's like art needs to be allowed to be art you can't be offended no, by yeah. it but that's just can't be offended by any of it right it's so dismissive of the effect art actually has on people and on, on the culture right and what what art's supposed to be it's supposed to get an emotional reaction but it's not mm-hmm. necessarily supposed to be this is the only thing you can feel about it yeah mm-hmm. yeah see i had a friend who did exactly that where every time i tried to point out something in one piece was problematic his automatic, like, knee-jerk response was, oh, you know, we can't infringe on Oda's vision or his story. And if you're Guess saying... I can. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you're saying he can't be bigoted or he can't be sexist, you're saying he can't write the story the way he wants to, and you're censoring him. Oh, censorship guy. <laughs> yeah, it's such a privileged take from someone who's like, oh, yeah, you know, I love One Piece because it speaks to me in this way, and it's such moving art, and it has this impact. And as soon as you try to argue about the impact it has on other people that might not be positive, he's just immediately like, well, it doesn't affect me that way. So clearly it can't be a problem. And it's just like, all right, how do you get through to someone like that who's just so assured that they can't be wrong about something? It's not even that they're assured, that they literally set the rules up that they can never be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Because... Art and media is often so personal. I feel that when people hear criticisms of something they love, they get very defensive about it, and they of feel course. that like almost yeah. they are being attacked. Like if something yeah, yeah. they like has bad exactly content, it. they are bad for liking it. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's what they say. Yeah, that that's a huge problem with uh, fandom discourse in general. I think. Oh, absolutely. But, you know, and, and you understand why, right? You under- We all understand why. We understand the emotional impact of these things. But, you know, I've had people write me because I've been writing about stuff for 20 some odd years and people write me, well, how do you feel if, if somebody says something mean about Sailor Moon? I'm like, I don't actually care. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. They say that like someone just said something about your best friend. Right. And I actually had somebody once tell me I talk about characters like they're my friends. And that's true. I do because I do have emotional uh, bias to this. But if somebody looks at me and goes, I really found that to be extremely boring. I'll be like, totally understand. Let's talk about something else. Because mm-hmm. I can differentiate that the art that I resonate to is not the art you resonate to. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. somebody somebody looks at, I don't know. Janelle Monet or Billy Porter being really openly queer and goes, what the fuck is that? You know, and right. I'm going, I worship these people. Yep. You know, I will, yeah. if they became the king and queen of the universe, I would immediately <laughs> be like, I am in. How do I sign up? Right. So I get that you have emotional buy-in to things. Can you just not accept that other people's buy-in is just different? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard. It, it takes a, it takes, I guess, a level of emotional maturity to say, I love this thing unconditionally. You may actually find it horribly boring yeah. mm-hmm. or offensive. 
I think it takes a lot of maturity. I know when I was a kid, much younger, you know, I would be very defensive about the things I like because, you know, I did take it more personally. But then as, you know, I've grown older, I think, you know, I've just come to realize that it is important to recognize the flaws and the problematic aspects of a work. Then I can still appreciate what it means to me, even though I know it has content in it that is objectionable and I find objectionable. Uh, we recorded a podcast about Dragon Ball recently that'll probably come out after this podcast. But, you know, we had a very long conversation about uh, issues that we found uncomfortable revisiting the series about how the series objectifies Bulma, especially early on. Mm -hmm. And of course, with Master Roshi's character, which as a kid, Master Roshi, as the wise old mentor figure, I really love that character. But as I've grown older, like I've been more and more uncomfortable and like more uh, displeased with that character and his pervasiveness and behaviors and the normalization of those behaviors. And so... That's why I think it's important to kind of like recognize that and be, and say, okay, well, this story or this character, like it meant a lot to me, but there is problems here that reflect the culture and, and in real life that this would affect people in harmful negative ways. And it's yeah. important to recognize that, be empathetic towards that and just be comfortable with admitting that something is problematic. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but that also doesn't mean that you can't still love dragon ball like I, yeah, it's safe to say that you know uh, lama and i both love dragon ball you know despite those unfortunate elements so and you know it's it's okay to understand too that something had a place in your history that might not be relevant to you now if you had encountered it now mm -hmm. um there are certainly things that I loved when I read them originally, um, that I now, if I thought, if I, if I read them for the very first time now, I would not only not like them, I would find them intolerable mm -hmm. on a lot of levels. Um, the Narnia series, I read it when I was very, very young, and it was, it was obviously, I was young, I was old enough to understand that it was very heavily Christian allegory at the time, but I still mm -hmm. liked them. Now I would find it absolutely intolerable. There's no way I would sit through 10 seconds of it. So, you know, you can kind of understand, too, why why a thing hit you in a time and a place, and it was important to you, and it was meaningful to you, and had value, and then look at it and go, okay, so then I was too young. I mean, you, you, you know, again, we're, we're talking about all the, the cluelessnesses we find online. You get all the gators going, well, you know... You know, Superman was never political or Batman was never political. And you're like, uh. so what you're saying is you read you read superhero comics and managed not to notice mm -hmm. any of the actual commentary. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. how did you how did you read these comics and not notice what was being said? How did you look at X-Men and never notice it was mm -hmm. obvious allegory? You know, mm -hmm. so what mm -hmm. you're saying is you were an idiot. That's not the same thing as <laughs> never being politics. That's entirely. And when you're six, I'm going to give you credit. By the time you're 14, you have no excuse. By the time you're 34, you definitely have no excuse. <laughs> and so there's a moment where you need to go, boy, did I miss that? Mm -hmm. You know, all art is yeah. political because it comes from someone's perspective. And yeah. they're writing from like a perspective they're exploring and trying to communicate to the audience, whatever yeah. message that may be. In some forms of media, oftentimes the difference of perspectives can kind of mix in 
odd, interesting ways, but there is always still a perspective that is trying to be getting across. Yeah. yeah. I think the reason that people want to say something is, you know, not political or saying they don't have a message in it is because if someone does call them out on it and say, hey, you know, something you said has this problematic undertone, whatever, then it's easy for them to hand wave it away and say, well, you know, I didn't mean to put that in there or I didn't have any message in there. If you saw something, you're just yep, reading into it. And it's just a way for them to absolve responsibility for themselves to be like, hey, you know, I fucked up. Yeah, I should have known better. You know, going forward, I will do better about understanding this. I think the reason for a lot of people that don't want to do that is they feel uncomfortable with the idea that, hey, maybe, you know, growing up, the media I consumed was exposed to whatever has built in some prejudices into me that I have not fully recognized or come to terms with. And a lot of people don't want to acknowledge that, hey, you know, I might have done problematic stuff. I might have made some comments that were out of line. And they don't want to accept that, hey, maybe I was a bad person back then. I had something I didn't understand fully. And they don't want to make that extra step to go, well, you know, I have to kind of fix it going forward. Yeah, it always comes down to not wanting mm -hmm. to take responsibility yeah. every single time. That's Ultimately, that's the story of anybody who's defending something uncritically because there's critical thoughtful defense like we're doing we're saying there's a place for these things there's yeah. there's a way to look at these things that maybe don't seem offensive and there's but acknowledge that the other people who are not you can see offense yeah. mm -hmm. those things that's a critical form of defense not uncritical well it's if you see something there then it's your problem <laughs> you know that's that always comes down to uh, what I like to think of as Lapis's line from Stephen Universe. Like, well, I could say that, but it would make me feel bad. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, and that's what it comes down to, right? Every yeah. time. I don't want to think about that because it would make me feel bad. Yeah. And this actually brings us to, like, one of the questions that I was thinking about. Like, how do we catch ourselves and be conscious of not making excuses or justifying problematic media or creators? Like, how do we, like, stop ourselves from going... Well, sure, this is bad, but... Like, how do we stop us from saying that but? That's a tough one, but I think a lot of it has to come down to just getting in the habit of always starting with, that's a point that I hadn't considered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what I do. Uh, I have a, a co-worker who always says, to your point, and then says whatever she was going to say anyway. <laughs> Which I really love about her because I know she doesn't notice she doesn't. It's like a verbal tick. But I think mm -hmm. just getting into the habit of going, I hadn't considered that. I was yeah. thinking about it from my perspective, of course. And then responding to the idea that the person has brought up and not to your emotions that that feeling brings up. So if somebody looks at you and goes, well, that's really exploitative and horrific, and you could say, well, that's certainly something to consider, and I understand that's valid. And that saying to somebody else, your point is valid, and then deciding, but is it relevant to what you personally were saying or not? Your point is valid, but what I was saying was, and the answer is if you can't explain why your perspective is important and valid, if you can't say, I was saying this because of this, you have no position. Yeah. Mm. Well, like we said, it's kind of like what we did earlier with Golden Conway. Mm. <laughs> to an extent. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not going to look at you and say, you can't like it because I didn't. That's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's also important yeah, yeah. to kind of just engage in the conversation with 
the person that brings up the, you know, the element they found problematic and ask them, you know, all right, why did you find it problematic? You know, what specifically did you not like about this? Because I think a lot of the times the knee-jerk reaction is to go, well, you know, here's my position and here's how I saw it. And a lot of times you're speaking to something that's outside your purview or experience. You might not might not have noticed something that someone that has lived the experience noticed. And rather than, you know, trying to make it a moment of education where you see, all right, I'm going to listen to what this person has to say and try to empathize with their point of view. It's always the reaction kind of go, well, you know, here's how I saw it. And this mm-hmm. is how I perceived it. And it's always like, I, 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 rather than thinking about, all right, how did the other person see it? How can I empathize with their point of view? That's excellent. It really comes down to empathy, doesn't it? Every single time yeah, the answer exactly. is, mm-hmm. can you empathize with this other person? Is this person's word? I mean, yes, there's there's ways of saying, well, I didn't like it, so you can't. <laughs> Which is, then you have to go, well. So yesterday I was on Twitter and somebody said something that I thought, well, that's a conversation killer. You're basically saying X is wrong because I say so. Yeah. And I said, well, as a result, I'm going to withdraw from this conversation since there's yeah. nowhere to go forward from here. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. I think, you know, one thing in just kind of like my personal experiences, just kind of like doing, just kind of like doing YouTube and, you know, talking with other um, content creators, especially like, um, I guess I would call them like, like other reactors, whatever. And I think one thing I really had to kind of accept was that there were a group of people that, you know, I would talk to all the time. I'd be on their channels. I'd, you know, have certain types of discussions or I would, at least I would try to. And, you know, along the way, there were always points where I just reached a place where it was clear that people weren't really listening to what I was saying or not even necessarily that they weren't like, well, no, they weren't listening because I think, you know, a part of that is like, you know, contemplating like what a person has said and Doing thinking about that thinking and, part yeah. you know, and taking part. that in <laughs> right yeah and that wasn't happening and it was really frustrating and there are multiple points where i just had to say okay like this is a person that i can't be friends with i can't talk to i just can't really you know um i don't even say be associated with like but kind of in that sense you know because it just felt like these individuals were particularly, I wouldn't even see problem, like problematic, I wouldn't even use that word, but just like offensive, harmful, like very harmful. And even just recently, you know, when I, when I talked about, you know, one of the biggest sort of, I guess if we talk about sort of like media and the, and, and the news and what was, was sort of happening, the Kobe Bryant's, um, uh, Kobe Bryant's death. And, mm-hmm. you know, I had said something about that and immediately just like, you know, just this onslaught of like, well, you can't talk about this right now. <laughs> this is not the yeah. time. Oh, God. You know, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And before that, you know, I had talked about how, you know, like my relationship with Kobe Bryant, like in terms of like, you know, as a fan and that sort of thing. And before I had said those things, like I had talked about, you know, my feelings and I put them out. But then, you know, nobody said anything. They were like, oh, this is great. You know, applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But after I started, you know, um, saying, hey, like I also acknowledge this other side of things because this is something that, you know, I wouldn't be me if I had didn't. And once I did that, I had a whole bunch of people, quite a few folks who said like, you know what, I'm gonna block this guy. I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're just, you know, you're being, you're, you're being a jerk. You know, why you always do this? And for me, like, I had to sort of navigate those feelings because like it hurt because these are people that I consider to be friends. Um, I had met, you know, like, like at a con. But I think, you know, a lot of the times, like just, you know, reflecting, these people were deeply problematic, like a lot of the time. 
mm-hmm. it was something that like I had to sort of like look at myself and say, whoa, like maybe this is okay. This is probably for the better because I wasn't practicing what I preached. You know, like these people were mm-hmm. offensive and I would still interact with them and engage with them. And now it's just like, okay, like, you know, yeah. can, 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 can mm-hmm. I swear? Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I was like, fuck them. you know did you not notice i've done nothing no i I know but like i don't know like it's like i I don't know but it was just kind of my feelings about it like and i think you know at this point i think all of us you know had to sort of figure that out like we always have to sort of you know figure out how do we balance those things how do we balance like people you know those conversations you know how do we deal with people who we know you know have been sort of like consistently an issue Right. And where do we sort of draw that line where we're like, okay, like, this is it. Like, we can't, like, I can't even have these conversations with you anymore. Like, this is not working. And that's actually mm-hmm. a really good point. I mean, you end up having to draw the line individually and acknowledge that, you know, this is, you've hit, you've hit that moment on my line where you've gone one step too far and whatever. I mean, I feel like the whole comments thing, though, is really, people, like, to <laughs> come back with conversation, people say shit in comments they would never say to your face. Oh, yeah. They would nope. never, ever... <laughs> Say yeah. that, and, and I think lack of nuance has a lot to do with watching. We, we consume media weirdly because we have this one-to-many media. So I'm watching a YouTube channel and somebody's screaming and carrying on or whatever. And I go, <laughs> I either like it or I don't like it. But there's no nuance and there's no conversation. It's not there's somebody else on the going, ratchet it back. You're freaking out over nothing. You know, really, is a, is a character getting a doll that problematic, really? You know, mm. or whatever. And something like the Kobe Bryant thing, like, we can acknowledge that human beings are flawed, right? And that people do good things and bad things, and we can like and dislike them depending on how it affected us. Yeah. 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 You I know? like this, like, binary that people have. It, yeah, you're either with me or against me. Yeah. Like, you go on the YouTube channel and you have the like bar, this like bar. It's like, you have to think about things in between it's not just oh something is good something is bad there's like a conversation to be had within there and different or not i mean there. or not right because or you not, might yeah. look at that and go i don't agree with that and so i won't follow this person anymore or listen mm. to them or whatever and that's okay too i mean it's it's maybe not ideal and you'd like to think that things are more nuanced it's very hard doing that in one-to-many media it's yeah. much easier with us all in conversation. You know, we're all looking at each other going, well, yes, of course we'd be nuanced. But if we actually were sitting over a sandwich arguing about Kobe Bryant, there might be differences of opinions that are. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> so, because that's, that's a whole different thing, too, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can't stand listening to, I don't watch YouTube, the idea of spending my days <laughs> watching, watching somebody screaming about something I do or do not care about is, is anathema to me because I'd rather have my own opinion. Uh, unsurprisingly, but I do feel like there, there's, there's lines where we can draw on everything. We we draw lines in the sand. This is no longer a good use of my time. This is no longer a good use of my emotional energy. Yeah. Ultimately, it's cartoons and comics that we're talking about here. Yeah. And, and while that seems dismissive and reductive, we have to each decide for ourselves how much of our time our self, our emotional well-being goes into these things. Mm. Mm-hmm. And when somebody is using something we actually like to defend really shitty behavior, that hurts on yeah. more than one level. Yeah. Because mm. you're actually taking something I enjoy 
like one piece. I've been reading it and watching it since the very beginning. So that's a lot of time invested in a really <laughs> crappy series. <laughs> and I and you you know, and it's a valid to say he draws the female characters terribly and treats them terribly, but on the other hand he also draws them as very strong and independent, so Yes, we can have a conversation or if somebody's going, well, you know, Oda thinks women are nothing but tits and I can go, well, that may be true and I'm not here with Oda. And if I were sitting with having a drink with him, I might be able to convince him otherwise. But I'm certainly going to try to convince you until you become untenable mm. as a, this conversation is where you're going, no, women should just shut up. And I'm like, well, then we can just stop talking. Yeah. 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 You've you've seized access to my time and energy. Yeah. Because I can like problematic stuff without problem and uncritically. I can do it inside my own head. I can just like stuff because I like it. Yeah. I don't have to have deep conversations about it myself. <laughs> but if you reach out to me and go, you know, that really hurts me. I'm, I have to decide for myself whether or not this conversation is, is something I want to put my time and energy into. I think it's yeah. easier in a group mm-hmm. like this. Mm. yeah 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 i think yeah i think that was one thing that i had to sort of like learn like when that when i when i first you know just kind of got on social media like i didn't have a twitter until 2017 so when i started it was just it was definitely difficult to talk about certain things and to you know to get like this you know to get this like so much like negative feedback whenever i'd mentioned something that, that to me seemed very like like obvious but you know after a while, you know, like just like talk, you know, talking with my fiance, talking with other folks, you know, talking with y'all, just, you know, figuring those things out, figuring that out that, yeah, I don't have to like, you know, I don't have to give my time um, or, or expend my energy for like everybody. Like, I don't have to have a conversation through tweets with um, people that I don't want to have that conversation with because like that takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I'm at with it now. Like, if I don't know who you are, we've never engaged with each other at all, and you come at me with a particular kind of energy, and you come at me and you ask um, particular kinds of questions, you get one shot. Wait, wait. Like, I just want to understand. <laughs> Could you please just explain? <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah, like oh, that. Oh, yes, yes, of course. I'll spend all my time explaining things that have been explained many thousands of times before. No <laughs> but I, I'm just, I'm being honest here. I just want to understand. <laughs> and that's the thing. You get one shot. And yeah. so I, 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 and almost, you know, 99% of the time, that's where it goes, right? right. Like it's, it goes to this, you know, like they, those people tend to reveal themselves Instantly. Yeah. You know, almost immediately. Yeah, almost immediately. And you just, just like, ah, oh, okay. And then it's just like, you know, and then and then either, and then I kind of decide whether I want to block or mute or whatever. Usually yeah. it's, like, if it's those kind of people, I tend to block because I'm just like, they're just going to keep going. They're, yeah, they're, yeah, they're going to keep yeah. coming. And there's some people where it's just like, you know, you just mute them. They'll, you know, it's whatever. You don't, you don't, you never hear from them again. It's fine. And it's cool. And they can like, you know, shout into the ether and it's, it's okay. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with that kind of thing, to um, people who don't want to do the work are people I'm just not engaging with. Yeah. Like, I have 20 years of writing about this topic. So if you go, well, I just want to understand, like, here's an entire category <laughs> of yep. posts that I've done that answer all your questions. So here's that category. Here's all the essays on Eurycon. Here's all the work that's been done for 20 years. When you mm. finish it all, if you have a question, get back to me. <laughs> that usually makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, this is definitely the thing that sucks about Twitter is because you'll put out something on there, which you've addressed or talked about before, and like in depth with all the nuances anyone could want, 
then some yeah. random person will find like one thread you wrote or one tweet you wrote out of context and they'll just leap on you for that one thing and be like oh my god you have to explain yourself on this you know what no. do you mean how dare you have <laughs> such a hot take right there and it's like all right clearly like you don't follow me you don't know anything about who i am or what yeah. i do or what i've said before but here you are coming in and demanding an explanation and my time and everything like this. And there's probably not going to be any payoff to me trying to expend the effort to, you know, summarize all this other stuff I've done for you. And it really is kind of hard finding that trade-off between, all right, can I really educate this person and bring them around to, you know, my way of thinking? Or is this going to be a wasted effort on my part and I could do something more fruitful with my time? And that's, that's yeah. actually a really, really good point. Um, when I wrote about the problematic manga, I posted some pictures that were particularly hilarious. And <laughs> people literally tried to come back at you and shame me. Like, they're like, oh, so angry woman is angry about art. And I went, ha, ha, ha. Who cares? Like, <laughs> like I'm not going to. Uh, seriously, was that your, that's your number one shaming technique? Like, that's what you're bringing to this fight? <laughs> like, I am... I'm loaded for bear. I have literally lived through the Usenet, you know, mill. I was a moderator on Usenet. You cannot come at me on Twitter where I have block and mute ability. <laughs> that's going to be, yeah, you better come with your top shaming game. Like, you better know something from oh, my man. past. Uh, Erica, <laughs> how, how dare you be a woman angry and uh, both. Yeah, a woman, an angry woman with an opinion on the internet, right? I've been oh, doing man. that before there, were blo- before there was tools to block. You know, we, we, so, so, you know, and you, you know, people are like, oh, angry woman is angry at comic art. And I'm like, yes. And also I think you're bored. Go away. (laughs) Oh man. Because, you know, but the thing I need to balance that with, and this is so important, is sometimes just the other day, I got an email from some kid, a young person who really had genuinely no idea whose heart was broken for the very first time by media they had formed an emotional attachment with and it turned out not to be for them and they were dissed by it. And it was problematic for various reasons. It was uh, Yami Bo, Yami, uh, Yami Toboshi Tohon no Tabibido, which was a really shitty, shitty anime uh, back mm. in the, I guess, the 2000s. And it was based on a porn visual novel. So it was never meant to be good. <laughs> and at the end, you have, it's, you have these great characters. They're sisters and they're in love anyway. And okay, whatever. And <laughs> in the end, the one apparently uh, dies and the other one gets married and has the their sister as their child, which is just uh, beyond problematic. And it was just yeah. really, it's distressing. The whole thing, the whole ending is very super hand-wavy and distressing. And she was heartbroken. And I don't want to look at her and go, sorry, kid, get over it comics are going to break your heart like that's the famous line right but it's mm. true they will if you if you don't realize what you're watching and why it was done and who it was done for and and you we don't want to defend it but the answer is i can't also explain away shittiness that was done 20 years ago okay i, I was mm. i was i was i was just about to ask were, were they heartbroken because of the problematic stuff or were they heartbroken because of how it ended because they were so invested they were heartbroken because they were invested in it and they couldn't understand you know why would why would this story take this really shitty route at the ending and it's like because the people who created it didn't care mm. I mean, that's the mm. actual mm. reason there was no intent the intent was cheap titillation for cheap cheaply titillated men you know i was gonna say that that that's that sounds like some school days it it was it was very it was very uh yeah 
So, so I, I also don't want I don't want to hand wave her away. Okay, oh, comics are gonna break your heart. Get used to it. You know the answer is well, things are different now, and there's better stuff. And so I tried really hard to let her know that there were things that she couldn't control. We can't mm-hmm. control this, right? I mean, fans are ridiculous. We can't control this art unless we're making it ourselves. We have zero control of it. Uh, Shonen Jump is going to do whatever the fuck Shonen Jump wants to do, even if it annoys the living daylights out of us. Mm. Even if the artist is actually just an asshole. If the mm-hmm. asshole is making a lot of money, they're going to keep letting it go. Yep. Yep. Mm. You know, so so we can we can say, well, maybe they didn't know, whatever. Maybe they don't care because they're raking in billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, it's it's just like with the Baroni Kenshin thing. Like, right. you know, they don't care about having Watsky like making a statement right? about. Yeah, exactly. Like, they don't care because Kenshin still makes money. Stays makes money. They they basically slapped him on the wrist, like most successful men. Got the slap on the wrist. Everyone goes. He went away for a little while, and now he's back. And there we go. Yeah. That's that was all that we were ever going to get out of that. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, but you don't also don't want to be dismissive to people who genuinely really are new and young and enthusiastic and you want to give them entree to things that are good oh, and geez, things that like, are positive yeah. where they can find that representation they desire and need. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. Provide people a starting point to learn for themselves and to like right. yeah. educate themselves and also develop a healthier relationship with media. I, I mean, that's say. just hard, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really, if it were up to me, that would be baked into school right at the very beginning oh, yeah. where we have a, a better ideas of how to critically think about things and how to make decisions about media and how to interact with it and what it means and how you're manipulated through it. Yeah. 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 I think that's a very important kind of lesson to learn, especially in the age of where media is so incredibly accessible through the Internet, but it also is unfiltered. So the right. things you can discover... Well, the unfiltering doesn't actually even bother me so much as just the fact that we now have supercomputers in our pockets and we are just constantly bombarded with with forms of communication that we don't really have any control over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, when it comes to having a conversation with someone who is being difficult, you you can't have a conversation with someone who is just trying to shout over you. Yeah. To, like, shout you to the point where your voice is silent. Like, you can't just engage with those people. Right, which is why oh, yeah. intimidation is so hilarious to me. Like, I've been around the internet since before most of these children were born. The first computer I ever had in our house when I was six years old in 1971. <laughs> so, you know, this is, a, this is a different part of the universe. You know, that was still a mid-20th century. There's very little people can bring to the intimidation table that I haven't already experienced. And I feel bad for people who are intimidated into silence. But the answer is, of course, all you have to do is go, no, I'm not going to be quiet. No. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of a good note to like leave off in terms of like thinking about how to advocate for more conversations and mm-hmm. how to just kind of keep in mind these conversations. But mm-hmm. I guess there is one aspect that i would like to address before we close off and that's just where we personally draw the line of when we decide something is not okay to support we touched upon it a little earlier but in the context of like the media themselves like when does it get to a point where the problematic content is so much we you just can't engage with it anymore i think this is kind of a difficult area sometimes as well because i mean to go back with that 
Roni Kenshin mentioned, that is a series that meant a lot to a lot of people. And mm. for there are definitely parts in it to me that were also like very impactful. But I just can't bring myself to support that work anymore or that creator because no, of what yeah. he did. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt the same way about Torica, which was an even more formative work for me. And mm-hmm. on this podcast, we did in the early years talk about it. But, you know, that's a series like I was not educated enough about what Shimabukuro did. And when I was like getting into it as a kid in high school and stuff. But like the entire situation with Watsuki made me really reconsider the precedent he set. Mm. And that just makes me incapable of going back and engaging or supporting that work or author anymore. Even though now and again, I will think about moments from that series that left an impact on me. And it's hard sometimes when it does even impact on you. But it's like ultimately sometimes you need to think about like whether the consequences of supporting a piece of media outweigh what pleasure it gives you personally Mm. like what message supporting this piece of media sends to the culture at large and to other people about what your priorities are that's an excellent point yeah it's tough yeah we mentioned kenshin earlier and I, i think that's where i draw the line personally is you know like like, let's just say, hypothetically speaking, we mentioned One Piece a lot, and I think it's because, like, you know, it's a big series, a lot of people love it, and I think, despite the problems that, you know, we and other people have with the series, like, I could still say that, like, I still enjoy One Piece, I, I don't I don't enjoy it nearly as much as I used to, but I'm still pretty invested in it, and while it really does try my patience sometimes... With its uh, choices in storytelling, I, I like I still enjoy it. But if it tur- if it happened to turn out that you know that Oda was actually a piece of shit and had done something maybe along the lines of mm-hmm. of, yeah. of Watsky or whatnot, then I then that would basically be my breaking point. At that point, I would be like, well, it'd be a lot harder because you know, just like a lot of people when all that stuff about Watsky came out, you know, I, I saw a lot of people online who had been into Kenshin way longer than I had, who had grown up with it, you know, over like a good decade or two or whatnot. And I think that's where I would be with One Piece, where I've been reading the series for over 10 years now. And it's something that like, is still a big part of my life. And there's still so many moments in that series that have really like, impacted me as a as a human being. You know, so it'd be a lot harder to let go of it. But like, if something came out about Oda, I, I like in good consciousness, I just wouldn't wouldn't feel comfortable supporting supporting his work. I would not be comfortable supporting him financially at all. Mm-hmm. And and then and then you have what I'm gonna say are more complicated cases, even though it may be a little more cut and dry with a lot more people, where. You know, say I'm like, despite all the stuff that's come out about John Kay, you know, John Kay is a huge asshole and is also a pedophile and I can't stand him now. But like, I'm still a huge fan of Ren and Stimpy and I feel comfortable saying that because, you know, like Ren and Stimpy in particular isn't just, it wasn't just created by John Kay. There were a lot of other people that worked very hard on uh, on that series as well. Mm-hmm. And I could still enjoy it as a as a collaborative effort. Whereas with manga, most of the time, 
you know, aside from whatever assistance you have working on it and helping you, it's it's usually the brainchild of like maybe one or two more people actively writing out the story and the world and whatnot. So it's a little easier for me to drop manga in particular because it's it's not necessarily a singular vision, but it kind of is and isn't. Manga's kind of weird like that. But no, yeah, that that that's basically where I draw the line is if the actual creator is is a giant asshole and a scumbag, and I just I, I just don't want to send any money their way, you know. Hmm. Well, for me, the the line in terms of enjoying something in the first place is always about exploitation. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Any media content of any kind that that relies on exploitative storytelling, mm-hmm. I will drop like a hot potato fairy tale. I was oh, reading yeah. it. I loved it. We got to an arc and I went, boom, never thought about it again. Mm-hmm. I have not regretted dropping it. And so as soon as you get to the point where torture porn of small children is your oh, plot, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am out of there. I have zero yep. patience. I do not like children in the real world, but I will not tolerate <laughs> any kind of narrative that focuses on, for entertainment purposes, the torture of children. So that's that's one mm. thing. Mm. Yeah. Um, that being said, I'm currently reading a book called Scavenge the Stars, which is a, a version of the, uh, it's a YA version of the, the Count of Monte Cristo. And it is, in fact, starring uh, okay. a young woman of color who is a child at the beginning as she's being tortured by uh, her captain on a pirate ship. So I am a hypocrite in that sense. But I know that the story, because it's Count of Monte Cristo, will be essentially revenge porn on her behalf. So she gets back at everybody who has tortured tortured her. I'm okay with it for a little while. So that's one thing. But that is true for creators. When creators do something in the real world, if if someone says something stupid or clueless, I will no longer respect them. Mm -hmm. I might still engage with their media if they did not actively hurt him. They just were a stupid, clueless dumbass. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. I still like One Piece and Shonen Jump is full of stupid, clueless dumbasses. So there's that. But (laughs) when somebody is engaged in actively exploitative behavior and or actively homophobic, transphobic, uh, racist, uh, misogynist behavior, I will drop them so fast and so hard and never look back. So I never liked... Orson Scott Card, so I felt nothing about never reading any of his work, but Mm. should I have been a huge fan of Ender's Game, I would have felt nothing but a pang as I went, oh, fuck this dude. So Mm. the bottom line is that the moment that people take a political position like, oh, women suck, or gay people suck, or whatever, they are dead to me Mm. as media Mm. creators, and not only will I not support them, but I'll actively campaign against them because, yes, at that point, you are making a decision if you are engaging with a known ist's work then you are making the decision that your entertainment is more important than the real world harm they are doing to people and that is a strong clear distinct line that i feel very comfortable holding mm-hmm. yeah i would agree with all of that and i think yeah like for me i think there are a few things but i i would agree like i think like the sort of like exploitation of like children for entertainment value, like that sort of thing. I'm just like, nope. Like, Big old no. That's like a, an immediate no. I'm just like, you know, this is something like most people like I think, you know, but especially my fiance, like she knows this about me, like to T. If I see something, she knows, she, she knows. Like if she's going to suggest a show to me or something like that, 
if she knows that's in there, I'm like, nope, I can't. And I think um, sort of like when you mentioned fairy tale, you know, I think one reason why that's such an, um, an egregious story occurrence is because it's not only that it happens, right? Like, it, like that it's a moment that like is clearly like for entertainment value, right? In terms of like the art style and the way that um, the character is drawn and all that. An arc, you know? And yeah. No. Mm-hmm. You know, and then stuff that happens later, and and the relationship between the in, between those two individuals, it's just, ugh, it's just a mess. It's a mess. You know. So I think that's like, eh. Yeah, I would think children are sort of like a big no to me, and I and I would agree, like, um, with all of you, like, whenever um a creator is very sort of like, just sort of like vehemently vocal about intentionally, you know. Yeah, yeah. Then I'm just like, no. Like, if there's like, if I'm reading, let's say, like, if I'm reading One Piece and Oda just like. All of a sudden, it was like I think like um, some group. women are just like trash, or this group is trash, like just like garbage, like like you know, like that sort of thing. I'm dropping that immediately, and I think it's interesting because One Piece is one of the things that I have a really hard time with. But I think what I've done is you know with some, and with some other pieces of media, I'll say okay, I will you know depending on what's going what's sort of going on, I will say all right if there's like an arc or but it's you know but especially with manga right if there's like an arc that's sort of like ongoing then I will sort of see, you know, okay, how is this arc, like, how is this arc handled, you know, like, the whole way through, you know? And I think, so for One Piece, one thing that I've sort of said with myself is like, okay, I'm going to read until the end of Wano. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say, okay, if I feel like this entire thing is just like a mess and I feel like there's like, too many problematic things within it, I'm stopping right here because like, I'm like, oh, I, I can't. I I don't enjoy this. Like I don't right. enjoy the chapters. Like for an entire arc. Like I can't. No, this isn't it. So I think with manga, I tend to do that. Where I'll say, okay, what's going on here? I'll take give it an arc, or I'll give it like a certain number of chapters. And after that number or that arc, if it ain't it, and I and I feel like this thing hasn't been rectified or, or handled in the way that I feel like it should be, then yeah, then I'm done. I guess I'll just kind of pause in my two cents. I think I agree with everything everyone said about, you know, if the author's work is exploitative, especially in real life and it affects real people, that's definitely like, all right, no, there's no way in hell I'm going to support this work at all. And with what BMC kind of spoke to with One Piece, you know, it's a little bit more complicated, especially because a lot of the Oda stuff, you know, stuff with uh, Iwa Bond and like Sanji's transphobia, it's so easy to overlook because it only happens, you know, once every 50 chapters or 100 chapters, you'll have that one terrible moment. And then after that, I'll be like, all right, we're not going to focus on this again for a while. And they'll kind of just go to the background a little bit and you kind of forget about it and then it comes back again. And I think that's what makes it kind of hard to deal with as a problematic piece of media. Because people say, yeah, you know, it's there, but it's not front and center and prominent. It's kind of hard to kind of reconcile that with uh, when I'm talking to certain friends who I've talked about the series and they'll talk about how One Piece has meant so much to them growing up. Like it was an integral part of their you know, childhood when they were growing up, but they reached that certain point where, you know, all the transphobia and everything just became too much and they had to drop the series because they felt like Oda wasn't making them feel included in, you know, the series that was supposedly about equality and accepting others for who they are. And I think that's where I get a lot of complicated feelings where I'm like, yeah, you know, the series pushes this kind of message of acceptance and equality and so on and so forth. 
but it also does target very specific marginal demographics in the series to mock and make fun of throughout. And so it's like, so how do you deal with a series like that where certain behaviors or attitudes are normalized throughout it? And I think this is brought up to an earlier point we're talking about, you know, where how does, sorry, tangent, I was at a writing conference last year, and this was one of the points one of the authors brought up was, you know, work should be able to address things like murder or assault or whatever without it being an issue of, oh, well, the author is condemning it by not condemning it, you know, including it in their series. And the question became, all right, how do you find that balance between the author being able to talk about something that's problematic in their series and have the audience kind of understand it is problematic? And one of the things they brought up was, well, you have to kind of frame it so that someone in the series is actually calling it out and saying, hey, this person is being racist, this person is being sexist and kind of acknowledging that this is problematic. And I think a lot of series that are don't do that well enough where they have another character acknowledge that, yes, this is a problematic thing. Or more importantly, yeah. all of the characters. When was the last time you ever saw any series where somebody said something racist or sexist or whatever, and every single person in the series turned around and said, what the hell? Yeah, exactly. Is something wrong yeah. with you? That's not normal. Shut up. <laughs> just shut up. And, and and just turn around and ignore them. Never. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Particularly if it's the lead character, and particularly if it's the lead character is a white man. Yeah. Nobody ever... I mean, I would pay a lot of money for a series in which the lead man goes, blah, 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 and well, they want... And everyone goes, you know what, Ralph? Shut up! You're, you're an idiot, <laughs> yes. and we don't really want to hear it anymore. And that would be the greatest story ever. Oh, and the, and that yeah. would be great. If we could just go, the story is like Ralph, you know. And then at the end of the first episode, everyone goes, "You know what? Ralph's kind of a jerk. He's a jerk to you because you're black. He's a jerk to you because you're a woman. He's a jerk to you because you're a Hispanic dude. He's just a jerk. Why is he the guy we all listen to? We're gonna ignore Ralph. Yes. Let's still agree Ralph is not even the person we're talking about." <laughs> And just yeah. move the story on from there. I would pay a lot of money for that because yeah. that is what I want my world to look like. We as humans are coded for reasons I can never understand. To follow and listen to the loudest, blusteriest dickhead in the room. <laughs> I do not. I do not respond well to it. I don't know why other people do. We can clearly see in the world that we have, this is in fact the reality that lots of people do in fact respond to the blustery dickhead. So... Why don't why won't we make media? Why don't we support media in which the blustery dickheads don't get the reward? Yeah. Man. You know, oh. I would love to see more media where it's the person who goes, Well, I think blah 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 and everyone goes, ah oh, shh. <laughs> yeah. Now just I'm I really I don't want to undercut anything you just said, Erica, because I think I think you made an amazing point. But now 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 I'm just imagining a new Fox sitcom starring like a like a like a Barney Grumble esque uh looking character who just says like the uh, just says like the most out of left field like baffling shit just like oh the holocaust wasn't was uh it never happened guys and then then they just all tell him to shut up just or shut whatever up. but shut why up, you know and you gotta tell, tell tell him to shut up and why they need like that kind of there was a thing on twitter day uh, a u.s senator said something insane and i said this does not become you you are a senator, you're a man of power and importance, and you are literally highlighting propaganda that makes no sense over science. And this is not, I said, if you cannot understand science, 
into in the middle of a medical crisis, then you need to step down. This is not appropriate use of this platform. And the thing is, if everybody who ever voted for that man said that to him, he would stop saying bullshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We allow people to get away with saying bullshit. And then we argue with them and we say, well, that's not okay to say. We don't explain why. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not okay to say because it's absolutely gobsmackingly untrue. And we mm-hmm. have to spend the time and energy to do that in mm-hmm. our media. And then, as then well as in- sorry, I was going to say, and then, and then you get the people who are like, you're violating my free speech. But that's okay. Then they're, but they don't understand how free speech works. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly. okay. We just, we just go, that's not what the First Amendment says. I'm not the government. This is not censorship. And you're being blocked. Yeah. Oh, Just yeah. like that. Media needs to do a better job of communicating that there are consequences to racist, sexist, bigoted But there haven't been, had there. Yeah. No, and they they had need to do a better job of like showing that these behaviors are not just nuisance to people, but they are unacceptable. Yeah, well, yeah. it doesn't happen because the people who run the media support those things. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, as long as Rupert Murdoch is the one who runs most of the papers, we're not really going to get very far on that. Yeah. yeah, but you know. uh, this also extends to like stuff like in manga that's very common, like the the pervert character that's so <sighs> common. Like they're just like Mineta <laughs> in so My Hero Academia. Yeah. Yeah. Like and the excuse of like, oh well, they get beat up, so they're no, punished. But yeah. they're still friends with the group of characters. They're still around. Yeah. They're not really punished truly for their behavior can i tell you what i really genuinely find the most problematic every character that has their tongue hanging out Mm. particularly when they rub their tongues along their knives i want desperately for one of them to cut their tongue off accidentally i know i've said the same thing before i've never seen anything that like that like satirizes that bit that like trope in general (laughs) you know it's such a boring trope i don't get i mean people who stick their tongues out i had a teacher who did it once and i just thought he was disgusting (laughs) like you would would think like something like one piece or like gintama or something would would make fun of it yeah but no (laughs) never it's always played straight yeah exactly Also, every everybody who handles swords at all, they, they just handled them so poorly. I want to scream my lungs out. <laughs> I, used to, I used to sell swords, and I taught martial arts, and I feel very strongly that if you don't have any respect for your weapons, you deserve everything you get. <laughs> I mean, pretty much. <laughs> just like very quickly, I think the thing that bugs me is just like how many people like don't understand that there is not even measurable, but just like. Like, there's, like, actual harm yeah. that mm-hmm. is, like, a byproduct of, like, these problematics, you know? Like, I kind of think they do, though. Or they try to be willfully ignorant of it. Yeah, there yeah, these, yeah. There were th- these videos made by a YouTuber who I follow where they were exploring problematic content in the media, and their stance on it is, like, where is the statistics? Where is the proof of, like, this media actually caused harm and to me that stance is like you are actively trying to ignore like the yeah. very real ways that this affects a group of people and you're not even trying to listen to those voices and hear like how they are affected by seeing racist caricatures or i feel like it's always media. comes down to it doesn't affect me therefore i don't care yeah. yeah. It's not that they're not aware of it they simply do not give a fuck it doesn't affect mm. them. Or probably better yet, 
you know, oh, well, it doesn't affect me. Therefore, it never happens. It never mm-hmm. happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. what we're seeing a lot of in the world with people in power right now. You know, well, it didn't affect me. What? Well, I don't care. You know, I'm not offended by that. Therefore, you aren't either. So I kind of feel like that's it's it's a thing that I term aggressive cluelessness. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Am I so out of touch? No, it's the children who are wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I used to, I grew up in the generation where we were being told that we were all going to be sitting and watching TV all the time. We, my generation, was going to be obsessed with TV and never walk away. You know who ended up being obsessed with TV? Our parents. (laughs) I'm, every one of my age has a parent that does the same thing. They walk in the house and turn on the TV. TV goes yeah. on until after they fall asleep. It's on on timer. It's on all the time. Thank God my parents didn't listen to Fox News, but most of my friends' families do. And that's the bottom line, right? It's it doesn't. The thing I'm 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 really worried about is that the thing that I do will affect you guys. Mm. There's never any honesty about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, I think the best way we can address problematic media is just to encourage people to listen to other people's voices and criticisms and then empathize with their perspective. Yep. Yep. And also Mm. amplify each other's. Yes. Yes. I I follow all of you. And when there's good points, I retweet. Mm -hmm. You know, I comment. I want to say, hey, this is a really good point. This thread, you'll see me do this frequently, this thread. You know, read this thread. It's really important, yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. That's one of the easiest ways we can encourage this is to encourage a multiplicity of mm-hmm. perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think the thing also is that a lot of people, when they do have larger platforms, don't amplify a lot of the marginalized voices. Correct. And the mar- like to also is amplify someone that is, you know, the same demographic as them. And the other thing that people won't do is also when they see something that is problematic, no one will seek out alternatives and promote media that does something better, has better depictions of, you know, whatever representation someone's looking for. And I think people need to be more actively aware of the fact that they need to seek these media out because it's not always going to be the most prominent or the most popular because everyone will always kind of flock to something that, you know, a privileged creator or personal create. And that means a lot of time marginalized creators are always kind of left to the sidelines because no one's talking about them and no one's the same thing that happened with America Dirt. Yeah, exactly. Mm. You know? <laughs> I mean that's exactly what happened and everything that's happening with the uh, romance writers of America. Yeah. That whole kerfuffle is oh, exactly yeah, that. You know <laughs> all I the entire time, you know, I can't say it and just go, Wow, I'm glad that's not me. <laughs> uh, I, I don't mean on the, the bad side, but I mean just like it's not my organization doing that, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things I do, again, I do seek out, I seek out and I follow people whose opinions and perspectives are not my own. Yeah. I seek out and I follow and I amplify people who are doing the kind of art I want my world to be filled with. Yeah. And that's so important. I want my world to be filled with more Iron Circus comics and less Marvel. Yeah. I hate to say it, I was a Marvel fan as a kid, but now I'm done with Marvel. Marvel is boring. We can do better than that. We yeah. can have yeah. uh, more interesting creators and more interesting works and 
yes, I'm very happy for Colleen Duran and, and Neil Gaiman with uh, Stoke Glass Apples, and I'm, I was, I'm glad to support it, I'm glad to promote it, but I also want to promote people whose work wouldn't otherwise be seen. Like, did you see that uh, Princess and the Dressmaker, uh, Prince and the Dressmaker uh-huh. is getting a musical? Yeah. Yes! Woot! Fab! Fantastic! <laughs> Go! That's Jen Lang's step work is fantastic, and I immediately started promoting that because that's something I want to see in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. kind of thing is the kind of thing that we need to seek out and promote and talk about. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a good message, like to make the change you want to see in the world, you should amplify the people who are doing the work to make that change. If you're not doing it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not a creator. I'm not a comic or, or anime creator. So yeah, absolutely. I want to, I want to tell people about that. Yeah. I think the key word though there is that it is work. You know, you have to be actively doing, because I think a lot of people kind of assume that, you know, they'll eventually find their way to where it's been, or if they have a large platform, you know, eventually, that thing will come to their attention and they don't have to really do the work to seek it out. And it's like, no, this is a constant ongoing yeah. process. You have to be looking for it because it's not just going to pop out when you least expect it. You know, the luck of the draw and just going to explode when no one expects it. It's like, no, it's people constantly and consistently pushing it and pushing it, and pushing it until it does find that recognition that it really needs and deserves and it does take a lot of work and effort to do it, but it is a worthwhile thing to pursue and do. Yeah. I mean, everything that when Iron Circus, when, when Spike was doing all of her original work, all these articles, oh, this person who did these Kickstarters and made a million dollars, blah, blah, And none of them really, none of the articles went. And the reason she had to do that, because the regular comic companies didn't give her a dime and wouldn't give her the time of day. That's the story. Not that yeah. she made a million dollars, but why she had to use Kickstarter to do this thing. Yeah. The story mm-hmm. was, here were companies going, no, nah, we don't want that. And then she goes and makes a million dollars in her Kickstarters because, yes, people wanted it. Yes. And the mm-hmm. comic companies didn't go, hmm, we fucked that one up, didn't we? <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, they've just buried the lead over and over. Oh, a million dollars, million dollars. You're missing the point of the story. And that's to some extent a failing of journalism turning into clickbait as well. You know, everyone everyone writes these questions. Did blah, 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 do blah, blah, blah. And the answer is it doesn't matter. Yes or no. That's not how journalism works. We should have the why is this important part is missing. So often I'm reading even long form reporting now. And I get to the end and go, that was a great prologue. Where was the point? (laughs) Yeah. You you neglected to have a conclusion. (laughs) Yeah. And what I really love and appreciate about your guys' work is that you do emphasize why this is important in amplifying marginalized voices and having these conversations about problematic content, media, and pushing for change and better. And I want to thank you guys so much for coming on the show and sharing your perspectives with us. Thank you for having us. Mm, Thank you. Thank you for having us on. It was a real pleasure. And... Now, I suppose we'll wrap up the show, and I want to promote, you know, where the good people can find you guys. So, Erica, would you like to tell the good folks listening, like, where they can find you and the work you do? I am on my blog, okazu.yurikon.com, where I write about all things Yuri and anything else I feel like writing about. And you can find me at okazuyuri, that's one word, O-K-A-Z-U-Y-U-R-I, on Twitter, obsessively. Mm-hmm. 
and Ash, where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at King Coco Butter, and then uh, my links to my YouTube channels and everything else are on there. So it's uh, as you mentioned at the start, it's the King's Speech. And right now, I'm doing read-throughs of a couple of different series. So I'm doing uh, Vinland Saga, Yona of the Dawn, and Jeff Lemire's Descender. So any of those are something you're interested in, uh, pop by, and I'd love to see you there. Excellent. And BMC, where can the people find you? You can find me on Twitter, at the Manga Scholar. Um, you, can, you can type that in. You can type in the, the Black Manga Critic, and you'll be able to find me, you know, while we're talking about various things, often manga, you know, uh, social justice issues. And on YouTube, you can find me also at the Black Manga Critic, um, where I react to, you know, different manga, or at least I try to, you know. But, um, you know, usually like a decent amount of Weekly Shonen Jump series. Um, some other ones, Battle Angel Alita, um, a few others, a few others. But I would say the m- most prominent ones now are like Battle Angel Alina, Yona of the Dawn. And I want to start Posada. So if you're interested in yeah. that and following that, then, you know, come through. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll do that today. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> Motivation. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that. But again, thank you guys so much for coming on. Like, this was a fantastic conversation. I think that there might even be some aspects of what we talked about that we could explore in future conversations. But I think this was a great starting point, And I hope people really enjoyed listening to it and gave everyone some, you know, food for thought. And I just want to say to anybody listening, you should absolutely follow everybody on this blog, on this podcast. Um, the conversations we have online are really good. They're just as good as this one. These are people <laughs> who are really intelligent and absolutely worth following. Aww, Same. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. yes. And I think now Colton and I will wrap up the show with our own uh, where you can follow us. All right, let's. But before we close out the show, I want to give a few more community shout outs. I highly recommend checking out Erica, Ash, and BMC's work on their respective sites, channels, and Twitters. And I want to highlight a few choice articles and videos of theirs for you guys to check out to start with. Erica's article on Yuri Manga and Problematic Art is a great summation of why, while it's okay to like problematic things, it's also important to recognize how these problematic things may insult or hurt people, and why they have no place in media made for marginalized groups. In this case, why the overly buxom and anatomically atrocious character designs in Samuel Paris come across as degrading to any queer woman reading Kamikurihime, which is a Yuri magazine where queer women read ostensibly to see their interior lives reflected through lesbian characters and relationships. Additionally, I highly recommend Erica's essay on how Nagata Kabe has opened doors for more queer autobiographic medicine comics. Erica tracks the history of the coming essay genre from early examples to underscore how revolutionary Kabi's exploration of her own mental health and how Kabi downplays the coming out narrative that is so often the focus of most queer comics and underscores that Kabi is telling a story about herself as a queer woman and how that has helped open doors for more comics destigmatizing and exploring mental health issues and queer sexuality to become visible in the mainstream. It is a great tribute to the work that Kabi has done so far and the work that she continues to do as her new manga continues to chronicle her life and struggles with her physical and mental health. 
Next, I want to highlight particular videos from Ash and BMC from their channels that expand upon talking points addressed in our conversation. Ash's video on actionable fandom or how to solve a problem like HRO Oda describes how we as a fandom can come together to address problematic media and creators and advocate for change. Meanwhile, BMC's video, simply titled Twitter, goes deeper into what we discussed about why social media is often not the best place for meaningful conversations about art, and why we often have to be selective about who we engage with, as we can only have productive conversations with people willing to have an open mind, and really can't have conversations with people who only want to shout us into silence. Both of these videos are great listens and exemplary of the great work that both Ash and Unity regularly do on their channels and Twitters, and I highly encourage you to follow and subscribe to them if you haven't already. Beyond our guests' content, there are additional articles, videos, and podcasts in line with what we discussed here that I'd like to recommend as well. Anime Feminist, in particular, regularly publishes editorials that promote critical analyses of media from diverse perspectives, discussing problematic media in insightful and pointed ways. We brought it up on the podcast by Paul White's article discussing a trans-masculine reading of Ranma and how that was valuable to him while also exploring Ranma Half's problems with toxic masculinity and queerphobia is an excellent exploration of series from a trans-mask perspective, which has so often been under-discussed in retrospectives on the series. Additionally, Keith and Moore wrote a great piece comparing and contrasting how power structures and slavery narratives are presented between the Twelve Kingdoms and the Rising of the Shield Hero, emphasizing how the former frames its story more responsibly and empathetically than the latter. It's possibly the best dissection of Shield Hero's problematic and controversial aspects and articulates what makes it a more irresponsible power fantasy than the average isekai dealing with similar themes. Another great recent article on Anifem was Anthony Grimulgia's article on fat shaming and body positivity in anime, exploring how some anime series present a damaging idea of body image and fitness and how that's hurtful, and celebrating series that normalize body diversity, focusing especially on MAJ as a series full of diverse body types, highlighting Deku's mom, Inko, and the BMI hero, Fatgum, in particular. Finally, I want to recommend an entire series of articles on NFM called My Fave is Problematic, which features writers exploring problematic content in series that mean a lot to them and their struggles to accept and reconcile enjoying the series they enjoy while keeping these problems in mind. There have been pieces written on series like Rana Half, Dragon Ball, and Kill a Kill, among many others, and they're great examples of the kind of media criticism that is productive and helpful when we engage with problematic media, showing that a series can have serious problems and still be important to you, and that's okay, so long as you're willing to recognize and acknowledge that. But on that same subject, I have even more recommendations beyond any thumb. We previously shouted out a recent One Piece podcast episode discussing the Oda Watsuki interview and the host's complicated feelings on Oda's choices as a person. But I also want to recommend another recent OPP episode in which a group of the regular hosts and guests, dubbed the McLaughlin Group, reminisced about how their fandom has changed, which culminated in a conversation primarily between Kendra, Doctor, and Greg Warner about sexist content in One Piece. It was a good level-headed conversation between different perspectives on the topic, and while I personally sided much more with Kendra and Dr. Stances than with Greg's, I think this podcast is a great example of how to hold a respectful conversation about problematic content in a piece of media without it turning into a shouting match or a debate, and why it's important to acknowledge the unpleasant and uncomfortable in-series you otherwise enjoy. On that note, I have some video essay recommendations from some YouTubers who that also 
discuss difficult and complicated topics quite well. First, I want to recommend a video by the channel Renegade Cut, which dissects the falsified mythology of Springfield, presented in the Simpsons episodes The Telltale Head and Lisa and the Ink High Class, and how those episodes reflect our own willful ignorance of real history in support of idealized mythology, underscoring the importance of being educated and critical about history and how it is presented to us through media. I think his points are best summated in this one quote. Your comfort is not more important than the truth if the lie is weaponized to hurt people. And I think this is a lesson we need to keep in mind when discussing problematic media and criticizing discriminatory and oppressive elements in our culture at large. Next, I want to shout out Shannon Trish's fantastic fake friends, parasocial hell video essay, which has recently been restored on YouTube. It is a fascinating and dense two-hour video that provides tons of examples of parasocial relationships and the ways in which they are damaging and harmful to people. It highlights the need to separate oneself from being overly emotionally obsessed with meeting creators, which I think is a huge part of the defensiveness fans can have when confronted with criticism of problematic media creators they enjoy. It's a really well-researched and insightful video that definitely encourages oneself to re-examine their relationship with media and with strangers that they may feel overly familiar with thanks to the internet. Finally, because reconciling loving problematic media is complicated and hard, I want to close out my community shoutouts for this episode by highlighting a thoughtful video essay by Kyle Colgren exploring how socialist and film critic and visionary Sergei Eisenstein could have possibly loved and admired the films of notorious anti-labor capitalist Walt Disney. It is a wonderful piece that acknowledges the value and power of escapism and the inescapable power and emotionality of the nostalgia while still making a case for separating one's love for a piece of media with their identity, separating one's love for pieces of media from loyalty to a corporate brand identity, and acknowledging media can still be enjoyed while holding their creators up to task and advocating for real-world problems to be addressed and improved. And that about does it for our community shoutouts. I gave many examples this time, about a dozen, but I really want to provide people a lot of transformative resources to dive deeper into media criticism. All of these people and places have been great resources for me over the years to better educate myself on the intersection of media, culture, social values, and self-identity, and I hope through this podcast and all of these recommendations that we've highlighted the need to acknowledge problematic media, why we need to hold thoughtful conversations about them, and how to translate those conversations into actional efforts for cultural change. This is an evolving conversation and topic that I'm sure we'll come back to from a different angle in the future, but we hope you will support the good work of all the people we just recommended who are putting in the effort to create spaces for marginalized dialogues and perspectives, as well as healthier media literacy and consumption. Thanks once again to Erica, Ash, and BMC for coming on the show and having this really awesome conversation with us. This is the kind of discussion topic podcast we'd love to do more of. And I think this was a really, really good exploration of the topic of problematic media and having critical conversations. And... We'll be curious on your thoughts on what we've talked about here, so definitely feel free to send those our way at our email on our gmail.com. But I think for now, we are going to wrap up the show. Yeah, and uh, I think we should do that. But just go ahead and plug in our stuff. It's that, it's that time of the show. Lum, where can the people find you? You can find me at Lum Yasha on Twitter. Wherever there's a Lum Yasha, that's where you can find me. 
on other places like Animation Revelation and Annulus. And you can read my manga reviews over at all-comic.com. We have a lot of those coming out, so look forward to a ton more. All right. And as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I, uh, I also produce a few other shows on my own as well, all of which you can find over my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. Uh, there you'll find links to shows such as Life Lessons, the Gintama Manga Cast, which is on a hiatus at the moment, uh, as well as One Podcast Prevails, which uh, is also a part of the Ask Backwards Anime Podcasting Network, and, and a whole bunch of other things that I'll just go ahead and uh, leave it there for now. Again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. And then, uh, as for All Comic in the Podcast, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks on all-comic.com. That's where we post every episode first. Unless you subscribe to us on Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Over there, if you sign up for our $2 tier, you basically get early access to podcasts uh, depending on when we have those edited. And if we uh, get those edited early enough, we'll post them on there for patrons to listen to. Or if you want to subscribe to our $5 tier, that's where you'll start to get uh, some bonus content in the form of our bonus podcasts, uh, which we post pretty regularly, guaranteed uh, at the end of every month, if we hadn't mentioned it already. Currently, we are doing another Manga Mavericks book club read-through, this time of Saint Seiya, with my good friend, Doctor, again, from the Ask Backwards Anime Podcast. And uh, yeah, it's been really fun to, to do so far. It's my first time going through Saint Seiya as well as doctors so uh you know if you're interested in listening to that as we uh read through those that is available exclusively on our patreon again for five dollar backers at patreon.com slash manga mavericks so uh, i hope you guys will sign up and listen because uh, uh signing up for patreon is uh really the best way to support the show and everything we do but uh anyway you can follow us on facebook.com slash alt.comic or on twitter.com slash all comic underscore but if you want to follow manga mavericks in particular you want to follow us on twitter at manga underscore mavericks or on manga mavericks.tumblr.com for the latest updates on the podcast uh subscribe to our youtube channel at youtube.com slash manga mavericks uh we recently have been uh trying to put up more content lately thanks to lum over here and uh we got a lot of uh cool discussions up and interviews and whatnot and uh really uh, the youtube channel is the best way to listen to chunks of the podcast and whatnot without listening to whole episodes and we even have some exclusive content every once in a while so uh, again that's at youtube.com slash manga mavericks like lum say you can email us anything at uh, manga mavericks at gmail.com um let us know what you think about our more uh broader discussions such as uh such as this this episode and uh let us know what other topics you want us to talk about and uh hopefully we could talk about them and uh just let us know what you thought about this episode in general or you know just let us know anything about you know whatever manga you're reading or just any thoughts on the podcast in general again that's at manga mavericks at gmail.com and hey you know if you send us an email we'll read it on the show so there's that we love getting emails but the most important thing guys is that you subscribe rate and review us on apple podcasts it is uh possibly the best way to give us some kind of visibility and yeah you know just uh give us a rating give us a review all that stuff we really appreciate it all right but i think that's gonna do it for the show thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of the manga mavericks podcast here on all-comic.com this has been episode 115 
and we will see you guys next time for episode 116. Bye, guys. Sayonara.